Get fired up for another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. With filthy mouths and bad attitudes. Featuring Chris. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Also featuring Parker. Yes, there's no two ways about it. He's super white. And our special guest, Alex. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. Entire production supervised by Bigfoot. Now, let's join the boys for their latest episode. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. My name is Chris, with me as always is Parker and Alex, and we watched Breathing Fire, a movie with short round in it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I actually totally forgot about that. <laughs> Where did you like you, you see him there? He's like the first guy credited, which you usually don't see in movies. Like usually a movie select boy is like, hey, we got short round. <laughs> How'd you pull that? He was also in the Goonies. <laughs> Much worse. So, uh and we'd like to thank Jeff Bezos for this and for lots of other things. Uh mostly movies that we've watched on here. So uh <laughs> God, God bless him and no one else, I guess. It's Capitalism truly again. an undefeated service. We yes. are unofficially, officially sponsored by Prime Video. Yes. All right, well, before we get into that, Parker, did anything happen in the world of film? Uh, you know, I didn't really tune into the Oscars. I just want to congratulate Malignant on sweeping the big five. Big shout-outs to Gabriel, friend of the show and best actor. <laughs> Finally, um, justice for Gabriel. Yeah, I just wasn't going to watch it, because after Godzilla vs. Kong didn't get nominated for Best Effects, I figured I'd do something else with my night. Good Which, point, uh, yeah. Decision I stand by, and will yes. stand by for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, Let's apparently I, uh, I heard... dive into it. I, I, I did hear that there was an attempted murder on stage from my close personal <laughs> friend Judd Apatow. No comedian is safe now. They are all terrifying. <laughs> Comedy has come at a price, folks. They're finally getting back at us for what we did during the premiere of Batman vs. Superman. Okay, it, I, I will say that it's important for us to explain what actually happened here, mostly because it's going to take me so long to edit this that this is going to come up like next year, so people will have already forgotten about it by then. But uh, Chris Rock, who is a famous comedian, uh, told a G.I. Jane joke about Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, it turns out she has alopecia, so it's, that's not very nice or something like that. And Will Smith uh, got really bad and walked right up to him and slapped him like a little girl. And uh, Chris Hart was like, oh, come on, calm down. It was a G.I. Jane joke. And Will Smith was like, keep, your, keep my wife's name out of your mouth. And uh, where do we begin? Just so many fucking jokes that came as a result of this. That was fucking magical. <laughs> I will tell you exactly how I feel about this. If I walked on stage and slapped a 57-year-old stand-up comedian who had their hands behind their back and they didn't even buckle, I would go back and swing again until they at least reacted. I'm like, Jesus Christ, where is your dignity, dude? He did not, he no-sold it. He fairly bent and he was like, oh, wow, he slapped me. Like, bro, where is you know your what, pride? You know what Chris Rock should have done and said? He should have fucked her. Well, good line. <laughs> I'm glad you say that, Parker, because that was exactly my takeaway when I first like, because I didn't see it like live. Like, I got it like a couple right. hours later, and yeah. I watched it, and, and like every little tiny bit of imposter syndrome that's inside me from never having been in a real fight 
and being like, oh, well, what if I just punch like a real doofus? Like, oh, it's all gone now. Because uh, that, that's what people that actually have no idea what they're doing look like. All my karate movies have served me well. I'll be fine. Correct, yes. Uh, he didn't even have a straight wrist. Like, but the other one, I really want to get back to the Judd Apatow thing, because Judd Apatow is a famous director. Tweeted out, uh, he could have killed him. There was all this rage behind it. No, I, I don't know if he said no comedian is safe, but someone said that. I think, uh, did Kathy Griffith say something like that? <laughs> I think she says, yeah. It gets better, alright? Because I went out with Josh tonight, and Josh said something like, yeah, someone said, uh, imagine if that had been Betty White. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> first of all, I fucking wish. Second of all, it wasn't. And if it was, he wouldn't have done that shit. Come on. What if Baron Trump saw it and thought it was real? <laughs> <laughs> what if Chris Rocker made of spare ribs? <laughs> Yeah, what if this completely different thing happens? <laughs> what if he was United 93? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah, Still not the worst thing that Will Smith has done. Parker, how was Aladdin? Ooh, um... Um and um and Great. Just shuffling papers. <laughs> uh, just continuing the trend of, like, looking at the Best Picture nominees going, I haven't heard of six of these. Maybe I should watch these and realizing, nah, because in uh, the year, who's going to remember them? Cause, you like, know, Parker, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay to not watch some of the Best Picture nominees. Like, there's plenty out there that I haven't seen yet. There's some I'd like to see. I'd still like to see Lucker Speedshed at some point. I'd like to see Drive My Car at some point. But it's like, I'm not really in like, a rush or anything. That being said, you saw some of the important ones. You saw Dune, for example. That was really good. You could be oh, like what? Stephanie, who oh, yeah. is by the way, and uh, she said the only two movies that were nominated for anything that she saw were Encanto and Cruella. Uh -huh. oh, how, how did I know? <laughs> <laughs> like, all I, know is I was going to ask what the overlap there was, then I was like, yeah. oh yeah. It's, oh. yeah. I was looking at the Oscars from a couple years ago, the Best Picture noms, like, I'm sure Ford vs. Ferrari is a good movie, but that doesn't exist. That's a good if you point. see yeah, Ford vs. Ferrari that. leading up to the Oscars, you will go your entire life without seeing it. I don't know why this I picked that one exactly, but it just it just fits. Yeah, that's actually I know a perfect like example. Yeah. I would know I would have a great time, but I'm never gonna fucking watch that movie. What, exactly. What's the matter? Yeah. It lost. Right. I don't need to. So yeah, uh, I'm and... never gonna watch Coda, <laughs> and I'm not gonna remember it in six months, and that's fine because yeah. I'm gonna watch oh more God. Breathing Fire and Bolo Young movies. <laughs> Better believe it. Uh, well, okay, I guess we can get on to our jerks of the week. Apparently, there was a dog. Oh, fuck. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> so, uh, Alex before, and I have a tandem we... selection. <laughs> before, before we get into the dog, I would like to offer one ancillary jerk of the week. Uh, okay. The mass media for uh, not covering our, our former President Trump's uh, hole-in-one today. <laughs> <laughs> the hole-in-one that is real, that Ernie Els allegedly saw. So... Just about doing a fucking press bulletin about a, a fucking hole in one on your own golf course is just as <laughs> the most dudes rock of behaviors, and I respect it. So, mass media, come on, what are you doing? The fake news media, the drive-by media. The take, the take from earlier today of like if they just let him buy the bills, how much funnier the last like twenty years would have been. Right, <laughs> been going yeah. through my head all day long, and then he dropped yeah. that fucking news bulletin. Man, yeah. 
him running that dog shit team into the ground while just oh yeah <laughs> tweeting hole in one. He would still have his Twitter, which is most important to me. Exactly. Uh, anyway, so the dog, so the dog. I need you to take the lead because I did not catch as it happened. I popped in after several attempts to retrieve him. <laughs> okay, so uh, basically, what you need to know is. Uh, if you're not familiar with the L.A. River at this point, I feel like you don't watch most of the movies that we talk about on the show, because I feel like we've talked about a, a scene in the L.A. River like eight times. But uh, uh, I guess it rained in L.A. for one of the first times in like three months, so there was some water in the river, and a dog got down in the water and was just running up and down the, the river. And all of these fail sun people spent like two and a half hours trying to get the dog out of the water, while the dog is just trotting around in, like, six-inch deep water having a good time. <laughs> With, like, news choppers and rescue choppers all converging to get this fucking dog out of the river. Like, wow, the, the dog seems to be scared. Just... And there's a helicopter overhead. <laughs> He's just swimming down the river, minding his own business. Like, he literally goes upstream, like, half the time. Just, like, running around like a dog. And then it gets a little bit deeper, and he's got to swim for a bit. And they're just like, oh my god, oh my god. We need to warn everybody to not jump in after the dog. It'll be very dangerous for the entire situation. <laughs> Which they, of course, had to say because some fucking Redditor tried to rescue the dog. He got bit. <laughs> Screenshot of the guy being air- fucking airlifted out of there by a guy. Attached to a helicopter. It's so funny. Like, he got pull out of fucking Vietnam. <laughs> and he got airlifted out because he had no way to get out of the fucking river once he got the dog. He was just an idiot. Oh, even better. He went up, got the dog, got bit, and then just couldn't get out. I like the idea of him getting airlifted out of there by the helicopter. He, just, uh, he does the thing where he starts spinning. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, a, do- a cute fluffer is swimming. We have to get in there. We have to rescue this fluffy boy. <laughs> so after they fish this dipshit out of the water, this dog, which again is running around in like maybe 18 inches of water, <laughs> like the the rescue team with the swimmers and stuff is just never seen again as all the helicopters continue to follow the dog and they talk about setting up roadblocks <laughs> to catch the dog. <laughs> We've laid on the spike strips to capture this dog who's just going for an afternoon swim. (laughs) This whole fucking thing. It's like very, very obvious that the dog is perfectly fine. Just being a dog. And we have fucking half the LAPD trying to make sure this hand floofer doesn't drown. It's <laughs> These fucking dog people need to be stopped. <laughs> can't live in this world. Just a helicopter overhead blaring spotlights down on it. Strangers running at it in the water. Like, wow, he bit me. It's crazy. We have to put this mutt down. <laughs> <laughs> fucking the firemen finally get the dog. Uh, because it turns out if they just had just gone slightly further down... The river's completely dry, and they can just walk around. Right, yeah, I was going to say, if I know the L.A. River as well as I do from the movies we've seen, like, yeah. there's this, so, you know, just go over there. So they're down there with their fire ladder, like seven of them, trying to get the dog out, and they don't have, like, a muzzle or something. <laughs> so they're trying, they all keep getting bit by the fucking dog. 
<laughs> they're trying to make a muzzle out of rope because we spent fucking $300,000 with the taxpayer money to make sure this dog was okay and nobody brought a dog muzzle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I understand the small government people now. I 100% get it. I Ugh. was losing my fucking mind. We're Just never going to swim win. to shore. Jesus Christ. How many people with katanas have to run in there after it? <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. All right, screenshot that's, that's of that good. guy getting lifted out of the water made me laugh until I started coughing. <laughs> There's a fucking video. There's a video that somebody took when they get him out, when they, they finally get him up on the on the fucking shore, and the people on the shore are chanting, Hero! Hero! <laughs> it's... Unbelievable! Oh, I have to say, uh, in Texas, there's a lot of shit about. Hey, go back to California. Keep Californians out of Texas. We're trying to flip the state. I think I get it now. (laughs) (laughs) That dog would have been dealt with immediately. Granted, there would have been no river to get stuck in, but that is not important. Also, every other superpower in world history would have either saved the dog or killed it within the first ten minutes. Exactly. We spent two and a half hours with news choppers watching it run down the LA River. Gal Gadot made a video about it. We are absolutely not winning any sort of war (laughs) with any other country in the future. We're we took done. like Cross four years off. off of the Earth's lifespan just to rescue that dog that didn't need to be rescued. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> we could just have like a really fat guy drink up all the water. <laughs> one, one, one of our listeners right now is definitely sitting there, like the the fucking Trump guy at the beginning of the American Horror Story season, just like in his chair, just like screaming, just hearing us like finally break Republican on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> enough of these fucking shit libs. This is what did it for me. <laughs> my, my dad calls it and is like, yeah, it's a pretty good episode, son. I don't know why. It was recommended to me. It just appeared on my RSS feed. Between that and cancel culture, first coming for J.K. Rowling and now for Vladimir Putin, right. I can't take any more <laughs> this lib society. <laughs> well, in that case, uh, let's get on to what we watched recently. I actually have a hero of the week, but uh, I gotta delay it. Um, I watched oh, Kung God. Fu Hustle for the first I'll time. Say, God, if Josh is the hero, what did he do with that theater? <laughs> Josh is, in fact, the hero. Yes. Oh no! <laughs> like we said, it only takes one good guy with a. Anyways, so Kung Fu Hustle, uh, which uh... stop that dog. <laughs> oh God, was he inspired by the stand-up comedy in the theater, lady? Yeah. <laughs> Did you this reminds me of a I different Chris that. Rock routine. See, there's black people. Josh, sit down, please. Some fucking video showing went out like last week, and uh, mm-hmm. some lady got up in front of the theater and started doing her stand-up comedy routine, and uh, it, like fucking three different people had viral videos of it. Like, I would not yeah. throw my drink hard enough. I would try and fucking Randy Johnson a pigeon if a woman did that in my theater. Are you fucking kidding me? 
Was it like while the movie was going on, or was it like the no, no? There the was like a projector started? problem, like what happened to oh. us with the Fast and the Furious. Oh, movie. oh, right, like, right. So there was like yeah, a thing yeah. Going except on. somebody, yeah. somebody decided to take that that moment to grab the mic and to stand up. So <laughs> this yeah, I, I want to make something really perfectly clear. If someone did that in one of my theaters, I would RKO them. I right off the bat, there's I could not be held responsible for what follows. Oh my god, that is incredible! So, Kung Fu Hustle, released in 2004, uh, filmed by Stephen Chow. I had never seen this movie before, and it had been sold to me as one of the funniest movies ever made. And uh, it's pretty good. I don't know if I'd call it one of the funniest movies ever made. There's some really good stuff in there. It's uh, some funny jokes. There's some great kung fu. Uh, some extremely stupid-looking special effects that um, really don't do anything for me. And I feel like it's, like, some sort of cultural distance here. I feel like it plays a lot better in China. Like, where the people are running really fast, it just looks kind of, like, cartoonish. I'm like, I bet in China people look at that and they're like, oh, that's funny. Whereas over here we're like, well, that that's, like, 30, 40 years ago for, uh, for videos. We don't do that anymore. But... It was still pretty good. I next I'm going to watch uh, Shaolin Soccer, which I hear is really good. So uh, I, I had a good time. It, it just I haven't thought of that sense. movie in like 15 years. Oh my god! Yeah, for real. So apparently, when Kung Fu Hustle came out, Bill Murray was like, "Yeah, America should be ashamed of itself that we never made a movie funnier than this." And I was like, "That's a little bit strong." <laughs> it's a, you know, Bill Murray. Have you seen half the movies you're in? Yeah. <laughs> maybe shut the fuck up, bro. Exactly. The man who knew too little. So anyway, oh uh, god, I mean, I've seen that. Right. <laughs> also, uh, so months ago, Alex visited, and we were going through uh, my list of movies that I haven't seen yet, just going through some stuff here on my external hard drive. And one of the ones she saw there was like, wait, you haven't seen Cloverfield? And I was like, no, I was I was busy. I was in college. I was doing stuff. I didn't have a lot of money. How have you not seen Cloverfield? It's Cloverfield. <laughs> then she started beating me up. So anyway, right. once I wiped the blood away, I was like, she, okay. She gets a horrible edit on the show. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I enjoy Cloverfield, but that's that's quite the oversell. Jesus. Yeah, so I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll watch Cloverfield. And uh, it was all right. It was, uh, I will say it is the third best, and that is a very, very loose definition of best here, found footage movie that I've ever seen. And uh, I might even go so far as to say, uh, like, third best kaiju movie that I've seen. And uh, again, playing fast and loose with the definition of best here, uh, there is some emotional heft here. I care about the characters. I, I like the characters. I want to see them succeed. And uh, also, as far as kaiju stuff goes, like, it's filmed from a different angle than most of these other movies are. I like it, the fact that it's filmed from, like, the ground level. Because most of these are like, oh, you see it up in the sky so you can see just how big the beast is. I'm like, no, 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 let's, let's film it down here. That makes it actually, like, a lot better. So that's that's a good thing. Unfortunately, I have to take off significant points for introducing T.J. Miller to the world. So yeah, that was <laughs> I was waiting for you to get to that. Yeah. I, oh, I mean, yeah. really, dude, he fucking sucks. I couldn't stand him. Every single time he hears fucking voice. Like, it really is like a voice thing. It's not just like his jokes aren't funny, because he's in, uh, when he's in Deadpool, I actually thought he's pretty good in Deadpool. But I've seen him in too many other movies that, in fact, that we've discussed on this podcast. He was in uh, Ready Player One. I remember that. It's fucking terrible. Oh, that, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Right, yeah, yeah. I can picture the scene. I'm just like, what dog shit movie was this? Right, exactly. And Alex, before you got here, and Parker didn't watch this one either, because it was a one-off joke, he was also in the Emoji movie. And he was awful (laughs) in that, too. So, 
Yeah, I, I don't like T.J. Miller very much, and I think the world would be a better place without him. So, next one I watched is another one from the list, and I actually like this one. This is a weird one. Here, This is like the benefit of the list is like every two, three hundred movies, you find like a good one in there. And this one is called Pontypool. Pontypool oh, is a I'm Canadian trying. movie. Sorry, what was that? I watched that without knowing what it was, and I was with other people, and it was not the right time to watch that oh, movie. Oh, correct, I yeah. Probably not, yeah. back to it. Yeah, revisit this one. I think you would maybe love it. Uh, so Pontypool is a very, very Canadian movie. It has to take place in Canada because it doesn't really work otherwise, and that's kind of a good thing. Okay, so the basic storyline here. There is a radio station in Canada. Bear with me. There really is. And uh, it has this new host, this new uh, sort of like shock jock thing. He, he kind of looks like a cross between um, like... Ted Nugent and who is that guy who said nappy headed hose? It looks like a cross between those two guys. And right off the bat, you're like, oh, what is he going to say? What are all the Canadian slurs that you can think of? And who was it? It was Bill O'Reilly, right? It was no, it wasn't Bill O'Reilly. It wasn't Bill Yeah, it was Don oh, okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. It's I close. wanted to let him close sit close. in that quote yeah. so we had a clean break so we could isolate it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I quoting him, so it's okay for me to say. So anyway, uh, yeah, he gets on the air for like a late night broadcast thing, which is like, this is a story I've heard before about shock jocks who got fired for uh, saying something that they shouldn't have said, and then they have to go to like a smaller market and they try their same act, but they have to go into like a smaller like time slot and everything, and no one's really listening. So he's just kind of playing fast and loose with the news. He's just changing stuff around because like, whatever, I'm here to shock people. I'm here to, you know, really bring the listeners in. Even if they hate me, at least they're still listening to me. Uh, then things start happening. Some of the, the guests who are calling in are, are, are saying strange things. They're repeating words over and over again. Hold on to that one for me. Uh, and then there's a big brown face scene. Uh, I mean, and then uh, they call it, and there's like a mob outside. And he was like, huh, I wonder what this mob is uh, talking about. Let's go to our guy, the Action Chopper, which is what he calls his car that he parks on top of a hill and looks down on uh, the, t the Canadian town and reports what's going on. And it's like, yeah, people are going nuts. It kind of looks like a zombie thing. He doesn't say zombie. In fact, this is one of those rare movies where you look at it, and your first thought is, oh, it's a zombie movie but they never say zombie and you're happy that they don't because they're not really zombies. You'd call them more like victims or something like that. So what's going on is there is an infection spreading, but it's not like a physical infection. It's not like a chemical infection. It's not like, it's not even a spiritual infection. It's not like some sort of voodoo magic is in, you know, making everyone do all this. It's an infection of the English language. Certain words are turning people into these sort of mindless, stalking, bloodthirsty husks. And it's only certain words. And in like, where are these words coming from? That is a subtle thing that the movie never outright explains. But I think if you pay attention, you can get like a little hint of where it's coming from. And I think a lot of people missed it. And the people who missed it didn't like it very much. But like, if you get it, you're like, oh, wait, this is actually like really, really smart. And it's creepy. It makes you think. Uh, so they have to think about ways that they can avoid saying these words on the air, but still tell everyone in order to uh, help the populace of this Canadian town. And one of the ways they do it is they start speaking French. And this is how you know it's authentically Canadian. They're really, really bad at French. 
Like, <laughs> you don't even need subtitles for this because their French is so bad that you can just be like, I know what they're saying here, you know? And I, I actually kind of like that. Uh, I think the acting is really good. I think the writing is really, really good. So it's also, it's almost Carpenter-esque. Like, there's so much economy of film here, it's almost all, like, nearly 100% filmed within that radio studio. And I like that, because you can still think about what's going on here. Now, that being said, you realize that Pontypool was originally a radio drama, and then you think, oh, maybe it would be a lot better as a radio drama. But you know what? I don't, I don't listen to radio dramas. I, I watch movies, and for a movie, this is very good. I will say... It's worth watching it for the post credit scene as well, which confused a lot of people. Just pay attention. It's not that confusing. I, I think it makes a lot of sense if you watch it. So I would highly, highly recommend Pontypool. I think it's very, very good. Uh, I'll definitely and, go back yeah, to it. Yeah, it was yeah Parker, not, this is... <laughs> that's not the environment to watch that movie. I was like, oh, I've heard of this. People yeah. really like oh, it. Oh, yeah, this is not great Wrong with like, call. a lot of other people. There. Not a good call. Was not a yeah. researching my group picks as well back then. Yeah. Actually, another... Alex, I think you would like it, too. I think if you gave it that a shot... It sounds you, like something that I'd really like, yeah. Yeah. All right, the next one is one I downloaded a while ago, and it's the perfect time to watch it because uh, I've been feeling extremely down in the dumps lately. I downloaded a Mel Gibson movie called The Beaver. Uh, this is one that's uh, somewhat infamous. This is a... Uh, yeah, this is... This, this one got a lot of attention oh, no. because it came out, I think, like, right after he made the news for, like... Uh, he, he, that was when Say he it. was the, the drunk driving thing and uh, the cop pulled him over he's like oh are you a Jewish cop all the Jews cause all the war, all the wars in the world and stuff like that and, uh, and then his, I think his wife divorced him and then like the, the angry calls that he made to her were recorded and those were like too so uh, he, Mel Gibson went from being sexiest man of the world to persona non grata in Hollywood and then the beaver came out in which he stars as a business executive who is very, very sad for no reason. And now, now that being said, like depression doesn't necessarily have a, a concrete reason all the time. Maybe some people who have what we think are great lives or something that we want can still be depressed. He has a loving family. He's got a good job. He's got a lot of money, great home and everything. But he is just depressed. He's just sad for no reason. This, again, was somewhat controversial when it was released because not only is like, hey, a Mel Gibson movie. I hate that guy. He's very bad. I'm like... Fair, he is. That guy sucks. Uh, but also, it looks really stupid because you see in all the trailers and everything, the way he gets unsad is he put oh, happy is the word, is he puts on a, a, a beaver puppet and he talks to the be he talks with the beaver puppet and that's what makes him happy. You're know, like, they made an entire movie out of this? Come on. I'm like, okay, tell you what. I like Mel Gibson. I think he's a good actor. What could possibly go wrong? I like the part where Mel Gibson talks to the puppet jalapeno on a stick. It's pretty good. There's some good voices there. So, first of all, directed by and starring Jodie Foster. Uh, she stars as Mel Gibson's wife, and I hope she got hazard pay for it. Uh, she... Uh, she plays the business executive's wife, and he is just sad for no reason. Now, one of the reasons, I'm like, okay, so maybe he gets sad, and there's like a realistic portrayal of depression. Not if you started off with, like, an Ame Lee-style voiceover, be like, Mel Gibson was a business executive at this toy company, then one day he felt sad for no particular reason. It's like, it's, seriously, it's like if the beginning of Ame Lee was in English. They even have, like, it sounds just like the soundtrack for Ame Lee. And there's no reason to have it, because that movie came out ten years before this. 
So, as much as I love Bobby Lee, what, what are you doing ripping that off? Anyway, the guy gets really sad, and he's just despondent. Like, he's retreating from reality, and he goes to a motel, and tries to hang himself in the bathroom, and the shower, cot, the shower rod won't support his weight. So he's going to throw himself off the building, and then all of a sudden, his magic beaver puppet says to him, Oi! And he falls backward instead. The TV lands on his head. You're like, oh, is this going to be like a dream sequence concussion sort of thing? No, he's just crazy enough that he's going to speak through this beaver puppet in a British accent, for the entire movie and demand that everyone address him as the beaver and this will make him not sad anymore now i will say this mel gibson when he's playing just that guy in the movie is really there's nothing there there's really not a lot of me he doesn't have a lot of lines when he's playing the beaver he's kind of fantastic he's actually really really good He's a little too good. It's a little bit like, uh, Parker, you might get this one. He's a little bit like Tim Curry in It, where he's like, he's a little too good as a clown. Like, he's actually kind of funny, you know? Like, he's <laughs> I, I, he's like the world's first funny clown. <laughs> Whereas Bill Gibson, with a beaver pup, is like, he's actually funny. Like, he's making the faces while he's doing this voice. And boy, away. The beaver's voice sounds a little bit like this. You might think it would sound like, Hello, I'm a beaver! But no, it's a man doing it, so he's got a man's bridge voice. This is the beaver... And oh, boy, wait, I'm still the executive of the toy company. Here are the toys we're going through this week. And everyone at his job just goes along with it. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, well, I don't know, fuck it. We have this new toy that we're going to release. And, uh, oh yeah, B-plot here. His son, played by an actor, really wants to hook up with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, so, uh, cool. anyway, he... Mel Gibson then decides that, you know what, uh, the beaver puppet thing seems to be working for me. I'm feeling a lot better. I'm going to have sex with my wife while wearing the beaver puppet and doing a British accent. And then, when we're done, once I, you know, fill her full of hot stuff, I am going to lean over. I'm going to big spoon her and bring my arm over with the beaver puppet and kiss her on the mouth like this. Like that. I'm sure she will take it just fine. So she doesn't actually take that part just fine. She's like, huh. I th- you know, I, I think I'd actually rather have sex with my husband who's not wearing the beaver puppet. And he doesn't take this very well. In fact, he says, no, you know what? Actually, I never actually saw my psychologist. He never told me to do this. It was all my idea. And now I'm just the beaver. There is no Mel Gibson, just the beaver. And she's like, I'm taking the kids and leaving. I am going to my mom's house. You have fun with the beaver. And he's like, right, I will. And Mel Gibson's like, no, I want my old self back or some shit. And he gets into a physical fight with the beaver. And they're playing very serious music during this. And I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? And then, Parker, you ever see Evil Dead 2? Uh, I'm familiar. Okay, so... Yeah, that oh, happens. No. He, he, oh, no. <laughs> he uses a radio... I'm not making this up. He uses a radial arm saw to cut off the arm that has the beaver puppet on there. Uh, I, I wish I was fucking making this up. <laughs> so, then he, uh, then he goes to a mental hospital because, uh, yeah. And, uh... <laughs> And his son uh, writes a graduation speech for Jennifer Lawrence, and uh, she says, you know what, when you're sad, it's important to tell people that you're not okay. I'm like, oh, that's what it's all about. And uh, then Mel Gibson is released from the mental hospital because uh, this whole journey was uh, to remind him that his family cares about him. And uh, that's how we know uh, what to do when we're sad and have depression and uh, 
Yeah. Wait, so, is this uh, movie good or not? <laughs> that's a great question. He lost me, but then he got me right back in in a real big way. <laughs> so that is a great question as to whether it's good. It is fucking embarrassing for much of it, but also Mel Gibson's actually pretty good as the beaver and nothing else. There are parts where I would say it's ironically good. Um, you can lose all the Jennifer Lawrence stuff. I, I didn't really care about that. I, although I will say she's actually very, very good in this movie. Uh, she gives a very good performance. And it's a very young, or at least a relatively young, Jennifer Lawrence. So congratulations to her for being good at acting. Um, as far as the message and what to do about depression, that is a huge jerk-off motion. I think everyone on this podcast has dealt with depression in some capacity. Uh, but... I, I have a feeling that this isn't a great way to handle it. And the thing is, it, it almost feels like it's reacting to the people who reacted to the trailer. People saying, well, that's fucking stupid. Because everyone tells him in the movie that it's fucking stupid. And no one no one ever has patience with him and says, like, yeah, you know what? Maybe this will help. It's, it's just a little too silly for everyone. And they realize that, yeah, maybe just retreating from reality and hiding behind this British beaver persona is not healthy. But, uh... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was uh, funny enough for me to uh, watch, and I'm glad I got to talk about it on this podcast. Uh, Alex... Another one you, off the list, baby. Yeah, actually, <laughs> believe it or not, that's not on the list. But, uh, Alex, you might actually have had more fun with it than I would have. <laughs> every Is it one of those a, movies where I would have leaned into the stupidity of it? I, like, I think so. There's a possibility. Okay. But you also would have said that it takes itself a little too seriously sometimes, so who knows. Uh Hey, do you guys remember uh, Cloud Atlas? No. <laughs> I'm aware of it. Yeah, but, uh... most people are not familiar with Cloud Atlas anymore. Cloud Atlas is by the Wachowski siblings. And uh, when it came out in 2012, I remember seeing the trailer and thinking to myself, A, I'd love to see that. It looks pretty good. And B, there's no way it's going to make its money back. That looks way too expensive. And people care about the Matrix. They don't care about this. And it's tough to get them back, even if you say the Wachowskis directed it. Uh, this was recommended to me highly by my close personal friend, Michelle. And I got to tell you, it was really good. This one is actually worth watching. So Cloud Atlas is based on a book. It's got like six different time periods in there and all sorts of different genres for each time period. You got like historical fiction, you got science fiction, you got like a farcical sort of uh, British comedy. And uh, by the way, the farcical British comedy is like my favorite part of the whole movie. It's got Jim Broadbent in there. Maybe I gotta, how do I put this here? So there are some moments in this movie that have been a little controversial, especially on Letterboxd. Some people cannot get past these things. Uh, and they're there for a reason. Um, here's a good example. It's got Tom Hanks, Halle Berry, Hugo Weaving, uh, Duna Bay. It's got a whole bunch of people in there, and they play multiple roles. They play, like, one role in each timeline. Uh, Keith David's in there, too, by the way. I love his voice. Uh, and Hugo Weaving, for the most part, plays, like, a Hugo Weaving-ish character. You know, like kind of like a villainous sort of role, because he's got those eyebrows and everything. And in one role, he plays a woman. Now, that's not controversial. Men can dress up as women. It's actually in vogue right now. But uh, at one point, I'm pretty sure the the futuristic sort of setting, it takes place in Korea, and he plays a Korean person. And that's... <laughs> it's, it's yellow face. And a lot of people have... Uh, a lot of people have trouble getting past the yellow face. And uh, I asked uh, Michelle, who's Japanese, like, what, what did you think about that? Because I, I want to know what to say on the podcast. And she was just like, 
You know what? At first, I couldn't even tell. Because, like, I was I was the same way. Not because the makeup was so good, but because it was so bad, he didn't even look human anymore. It was... I was like, what is he supposed to... Is he a robot or something? I don't, I don't know what they're doing. Oh. Oh. What? Hell yeah, dude. What? <laughs> and it's it just... I, I get why they're doing it, because you want to have the same person play the same role throughout history. And that makes sense, and I, I like it quite a bit. But it also leads to things that maybe shouldn't be there. And a great example of this would be uh, Duna Bay. Duna Bay is a Korean actress. And uh, she's quite good. And she's been in a lot of very famous movies. And in this one, she plays multiple roles. And uh, she's quite good. And then in one part, she's she's expected to play a Hispanic woman. But she's oh. Korean. Why? And some character calls her a wetback. And... At one point, she tries speaking Spanish, and it's not subtitled, which is good, because, like, you listen to her, you're like, oh, that's not Spanish. Okay, that is close to Spanish. Well, it gets even better, because Tom Hanks says the N-word. Hard R. So, if you ever want to see uh, America's Hollywood hero. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Parker, you might want to slow your roll. It's almost three hours, so... Oh, I know. It's like the only Wachowski movies yeah. I've seen. I mean, obviously, besides the new Matrix, because I've missed my shot. Wait, on didn't HBO they do? Max. Did they do Mortal Engines? It feels like a Wachowski thing. No, no. Mortal oh, Engines was Peter Jackson, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I should have known. One of the million yeah. movies he's produced. Yeah, I, I get Cloud Atlas and Mortal Engines mixed up because they, they both look like movies that a I'd probably enjoy and b would never make their money back. So, look, two Cloud two Atlas. Yeah, Cloud Atlas. Here's here's my thing. When you're watching the movie, you can notice, like, oh, that's yellow face, that's brown face, that's Tom Hanks saying the N-word. But you don't really care because the movie is so good. Like, the narrative structure is really well done. A lot of people had trouble with this because with all these different time periods, they're constantly intersecting, cross-cutting, going back and forth to this, this, this. But it all makes sense. It all comes together really, really well. Everything seems to intersect in a way that makes sense with something else. And if you really pay attention, if you actually focus on the fucking movie, then you get a lot more out of it. So I actually highly recommend Cloud Atlas. But only to it's our the most... slurs that are holding the world together. There, That's the best part of the movie. I actually came really hard with it. So, uh, Could have used more slurs. I uh, didn't have the brown face that Pontypool had. Instead, uh, Duna Bay dressing up as Hispanic woman. But again, like... Like I, it sounds bad to say it, but like I don't care, and I think most film goers who are watching it don't actually care. Like you're just trying to watch the movie and get something out of it. And if you go into it and are at least a little bit forgiving, I think you'll really enjoy it. And oh, by the way, it earns that three-hour runtime. There's nothing really wasted in there. There's nothing I wanted to cut. I, I liked everything about it. So highly recommend. Uh, next one that I'd highly recommend. I, I think I mentioned the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. I saw the trailer for it. It's by Daniels. It's got Michelle Yeoh. Well, people are like, hey, you know what? More people need to know about Michelle Yeoh. I'm like, absolutely. So the Alamo showed the his, the Heroic Trio, which is a Chinese movie, a Hong Kong movie, technically. They came out in 1993. It stars Michelle Yeoh, Anita Liu, and Maggie Chung. And I'm just happy I got to see a movie like this on the big screen. It's got... I think a lower production budget than Breathing Fire. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, yeah. it's got a lot of wire foo, a lot of really stupid um, effects and everything, but I love it like that. I, I really, really love it like that. Uh, someone reviewed, reviewed the movie saying it was the forerunner to Charlie's Angels. And I want to tell them, 
actually, Charlie's Angels was a show that came out in the 70s, and so this came out in 93, so how could that possibly be? <laughs> uh, Michelle Yeoh is actually, she's lived a fascinating life. Uh, she was a beauty queen from Malaysia and speaks very little Chinese, actually, and uh, did not practice martial arts when they first started casting her alongside Sammo Hung and, and Jackie Chan, but she was a ballerina and she knew choreography and she was like if i can do choreographed steps i can basically do some of what they're doing and she caught on like that and it, it shows she's a lot of fun to watch in this it's maggie chung is actually the best part of the whole thing she's really funny uh she rides a motorcycle and everyone can do like these stupid jumps and flips and everything like that but it's it's just fun how do i describe the story here basically impossible because we'd like to get this in under a three-hour runtime there's some, like, ancient emperor demon of China who wants to steal all the babies of China to get a, a successor. And uh, I, I think it, it's actually uh, Michelle Yeoh's character who is, uh, she can turn invisible and she steals babies. <laughs> and uh, Maggie Chung <laughs> plays Chat and she she rides a motorcycle. Yeah. She rides a motorcycle and uh, attempts to thwart her. And also, the the chief detective's wife plays a character they subtitle as Wonder Woman. She does not dress like Wonder Woman that we know. She just wears, like, one of those masquerade masks and stuff. And she shoots people with a sawed-off shotgun that has the same, it has the same exact effect as, like, a pistol. So I'm like, I don't think they know how guns work over there. Uh... I think my favorite part of this movie is the subtitling. I gotta describe this really quick. This is my Letterbox review. Uh, at one point, you see a guy who's working on an invisibility cape, which I guess is how Michelle Yeoh is uh, able to turn invisible. His his computer, which looks like one of the original like Apple IIs, prints the word copy in letters so big it fills the entire screen. And copy, C-O-P-Y. And the subtitles say, duplicate. <laughs> <laughs> Even better is uh, is the finale where they're fighting the final boss, that ancient Chinese emperor demon guy, and he basically leaves his own body. He's like this horrifying skeleton sinew husk thing going after them. He's really gross, uh, which is one of the funniest parts of the movie because he latches on to Michelle Yeoh, and it's really just like this the skeleton puppet that they had and they just sort of like glued it to her body and he's making her fight and do all this other stuff it's actually a lot of fun to watch so i highly highly recommend the heroic trio anyway maggie chung rushes at this hideous demon with lit dynamite in her hands and she says happy new year and the subtitles translate it as go to hell all of you <laughs> okay. so what i'm saying is this movie fucking rules dude okay so and again I it's, never it's heard kind of, of this, magic. but it sounds yeah. magical. Yeah, you would absolutely love it. Again, both of you would really love it. Now, everyone listening to this, you'd really love it. Now, one final note about it is this seems like the sort of movie that you catch on, like, Late Night Cable or something like that. You're like, what the fuck is this? And you put it on, and you watch it on your television, and there's nothing wrong with that. But getting the opportunity to see this in a movie theater where there are, like, four other people in the theater with me... It feels like that's the other way to experience this sort of thing. You know, there's something special about getting to see this with, like, no one else there. And I, I really like that. Uh, and now on to my hero of the week. I watched Army of Darkness uh, in the theater with Josh. Now, a little backstory here. The first time I saw Army of Darkness at the theater, they did one of those movie party things. And it was a disaster. Because I, I don't necessarily mind if you quote along with the movie. It's a very quotable movie. But I was kind of hoping people wouldn't do Because usually people don't do that at movie parties. Usually they're just like, we'll just laugh when they say the line. Because they're paid to say the lines, not me. 
but they also gave interactive props and their interactive oh, prop no. yeah this is this is actually a huge problem man this is the first time i think i ever complained uh, to the alamo staff was they gave out cap guns to the audience oh now immediate refund bye you yeah so here's the thing i was i was like well what if it's like the other two times that we had cap guns i actually had a cap gun movie party with uh with uh, Josh before, it was for Blazing Saddles. The idea is every single time someone fires a gun, uh, you fire your cap gun. It's like, oh, that's fun, and people like cap guns and stuff. And it really did not interfere with the movie. It wasn't that bad. And they, they also had them for uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And in fact, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, it actually elevated the movie because everyone had really good timing, and it, it just made all the gunshots like a lot louder. I was like, that's actually kind of cool. Hopefully they will be as reserved as this for Army of Darkness. Now, Parker... <laughs> Not Parker, those fans, buddy. Yeah, Parker, would you describe Evil Dead fans as reserved? <laughs> oh, my God, dude. It's, it's, <laughs> look, Bruce Campbell's a great actor and all. Y'all need yeah. to fucking chill. Y'all need to chill. It has been yes. decades. They it's, are fun movies. Calm down. It was... Holy shit. Literally every single second of the movie was filled with someone firing off a cap gun. Oh my god. I didn't even take mine out of the like the plastic shape wrap. It was it was so so bad. The theater smelled like smoke. Like honestly they could have like set off a fucking fire alarm with all the fucking cap gun shit there. And I couldn't hear a single word that was said the entire movie. And I don't remember who I was with, but they could see how angry I was. And it was like that movie to me is really special. I really like that movie. And that spoiled my opportunity to enjoy it. So I decided, okay, this is one where it was no movie party shows, just go in, sit down, shut up, watch the movie. And Josh came with me. He'd seen it before, but he was like, okay, let's watch it. And, like, the row in front of us, like, five seats down was this bald guy. And right off the bat, I, I was, like, looking at this guy like, that guy might get my order card. Because I, I don't know about him. I want this to be perfect, damn Oh, it. you didn't say hi? No, no, this guy is different, Alex. This guy... Oh, <laughs> you would have loved this guy. I'll tell you the time about this guy. Oh, no. So we got there for the pre-show, and there was, like, this actual really cool thing I'd never seen before, where they did uh, this claymation recreations of Evil Dead 1 and 2. They were really impressive. It was so cool, all the effort that went into this. And the guy was going very loudly... Whoa! <laughs> <The entire> time. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and and Josh and I are like, uh oh, that guy's gonna be a problem. Oh, not here. <laughs> oh god! And then the you know the the Alamo thing starts da 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 da, da and then it starts showing uh, trailers for upcoming Alamo showings. And the first thing they show is cold open Step Brothers. I've never actually seen Step Brothers, but they're gonna do a Step Brothers movie party. Within, like, five seconds of them showing Step Brothers stuff, which, by the way, is fairly obvious that Step Brothers, it's John C. Riley, Will Ferrell, like, everyone knows this movie. The guy goes, oh, that's Step Brothers! <laughs> Josh and I are looking at each other. <laughs> if he does that during this movie... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, this guy was loud. <laughs> he was fucking loud as shit. Like, and Parker, we had an episode, Alex, you weren't there for it, where we were discussing, like, was he annoying or is he 
on the spectrum in some capacity. And we weren't sure, but it was like, that's the thing is I can't just like tell him to like shut the fuck up because like what if he's like develop- developmentally disabled or something like that? I don't know. I was like, don't bring him to the fucking movies. <laughs> I, well, hey, that might, I was, yeah, so I go to the guy next to him. Anyway, this guy had his son with him, so he must have done something right. Anyway, uh, Movie starts off, and we're enjoying it, and we're, like, laughing at all the lines, which, by the way, uh, Armory of Darkness is still literally a perfect movie. Uh, it takes cheesiness and makes it cool. It is genuinely one of the coolest works of art I've ever seen in my life. And this guy's quoting along with the movie, and he shouldn't be doing that, but it's not intrusive at all. It's really not, like, a problem. Like, he's he's actually kind of quiet when he's saying some of these things. And it's not taking me out of the movie at all. I'm having a really good, uh, really good time. At one point during like the final battle scene, remember when they're like lighting all the arrows and they'll like explode on all the skeletons and stuff like that, which is one of the great moments in film history. Better than literally any single part of Lawrence of Arabia is that scene alone. <laughs> the first time a skeleton explodes, that guy goes, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Kind of rules, actually. Now, this guy is not my this guy is not my hero of the week. Uh, this guy, How? <laughs> Josh is my hero of the week. Let me explain. <laughs> uh, so a- after we're done with the movie, Josh is like, "Hey, I got to use the bathroom," and I'm like, "Okay, I'll, I'll just wait for you outside." And the bald guy leaves the theater, and you can hear him. I, I get. Turns out he's just a really loud guy. He's like. I think he was on the phone with some... No, he wasn't on the phone. He was actually talking to, like, one of the theater, uh, like, workers, like the staff, like a person brings out the food and everything. And uh, I think she's like, oh, did you enjoy the movie? It's like, yeah! I would have had a better time if you were there with me! Ah! And he walks by me into the bathroom where Josh is. And I'm like, oh, I have got to hear about this. And Josh walks out of the bathroom and he looks kind of dejected. And he's like, huh. I'm like, what, what happened? Was everything okay? He's like, I think I just wasted the loudest fart of my life. And I'm like, buddy, it wasn't wasted. <laughs> <laughs> it's that little button that ties everything together. <laughs> His brain works very differently. <laughs> uh, just just the idea of like matching that guy's voice with the loudest fucking anal extraction you can <laughs> just letting off a, a fart that's so bad your toes curl you here oh he wow when, I came, when, I, when he came out of there he was like did you hear that and I was like no <laughs> he was like how <laughs> Uh, I would ask too. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> anyway, if it were that good. Yeah. If it were that good, and he's not yeah. embellishing, I would ask too. 100%. Right? Yeah. I no, I understand. Um, <laughs> I, I watched a, a TV show or two or something like that, but I don't remember anything about them, so it must not have been that good. Oh, I, I guess I'll, I'll put it like this. Um, I uh, I started watching The Simpsons, which I was not allowed to do when I was growing up because uh, I was you know Catholic household and everything. Uh, and I'm, I'm like, midway through season two now, and it's starting to get really good. Like, impressively good. Like, rapid-fire jokes and everything, and uh, I'm actually really impressed by it. And, uh, I, I don't know, I, I would recommend this. And this does sort of get to a point that I was making to uh, Alex earlier. There is an episode, I believe it's called Brush With Greatness, and it guest stars Ringo Starr. And uh, <laughs> it's a good way to emphasize that Ringo Starr is not a very good actor at all. He is, in fact, quite bad at acting. He's just... 
He's just reading the lines like this, and it actually sounds like it's me, Ringo Starr of the Fabulous Four, the Beatles of Liverpool. He actually like sounds like that in the episode. I was like, oh, I guess he just <laughs> talks that way. Uh, the reason I bring this up is they started playing one of his songs, like a Ringo song, not a Paul, John, and the other one song. Like it's it's just Ringo, and I was like, wait, this one's actually really good. Uh, and then I started looking up more of his uh, post Beatles discography. I was surprised. There's actually some good stuff in there. I, it, I think that I was uh, alert to this because I remember when I was reading about the Beatles when they broke up. They each had albums that came out afterwards. Uh, All Things Must Pass by George Harrison. Um, a couple big albums from John Lennon. Uh, uh, Ram and uh, Paul. Uh, I think it was just called McCartney. Uh, and what was the other one? Band on the Run from McCartney. But somehow Ringo's self-titled album was the biggest selling one out of all of them. I was like, how the hell did he get Can't that? Shit. And as it turns out, he got that by having all the other Beatles play on that album. <laughs> they were just working different days. <laughs> uh, so, honestly, I was surprised. Some of Ringo's stuff is really good. Also, it turns out Ringo's just popular with everyone. Like, uh, Elton John and Bernie Taupin wrote a song for him, and it's one of the best of his career. So, uh, yeah, I was I was surprised. I like some of Ringo's stars. Does, does the Elton John song go less than 20 minutes? Does it, it does. You have it's... to deal with less than 20 minutes of Elton John in this? Yeah, it's uh, it is only three minutes and twenty four seconds. God so, bless, thank yeah, you. Yeah, just the way that we need it. So, uh, yeah, I, that's how I recommended Elton John's uh, Ringo Starr's songs on this movie podcast. Uh, <laughs> I watched one more thing, but I'm going to save it for Parker because we watched it yes, together sir. like brothers. Alex, what did you watch? All right, so I don't have a lot here because uh, um, I was out of town for a wedding this weekend, so like I just didn't have any time to watch anything yeah 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 yeah, i'm only halfway through this fucking gauntlet of weddings i have to go to it sucks but also like friends free beer so you know yeah yeah. you know (laughs) there are trade-offs it's fine um but as a consequence of this i ended up spending my saturday night in a town of less than five digits in rural wisconsin where I had literally nothing to do. So I did what anybody would do in that situation. I turned on the TV, looked at the TV Guide channel, saw what the options were, and went, fuck it, I guess I'm just going to watch this Law & Order marathon. Nice. I, I see how they get the, uh, the Midwesterners now. Not just <laughs> from that, with, uh, you know... Because, like, you, you could be out of the room for 20 minutes, you come back and you're just, like, immediately invested. It's like, oh, yeah, you guys are good at this. No wonder yeah. old people just watch this fucking show all the time. Yeah. But, uh... It turns out there are some other things going on that old people are watching in the middle of the night. And uh, let me tell you, if Law & Order is as popular as it seems like it is, move over Fox News. Because the fucking ad buys that are on these things are what's actually influencing the fucking psychosis in this country. There's a fucking... Okay, so you guys have seen the, uh, um, you know, the the old, uh, like, the ones trying to get you to, like, donate to the starving kids in Africa. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Whatever fucking company Mike Huckabee works for now, apparently, is it like, like filmed like a three minute infomercial for that, but it was in Ukraine. And it was just like these pretty TV hosts walking around to these old ladies, like shaking boxes of matzah at them and being like, This woman hasn't seen matzah in over 75 years. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a direct quote. I'm not even embellishing. <laughs> it is. 
One of the most fucking jarring things I've ever seen in my life. Just watching, like, the fucking 12 to 1 a.m. block of Law and Order marathons. And you just get Mike Huggabee telling you he desperately needs money to bring the old Jewish ladies food that they haven't had since before the Holocaust. Like, I don't understand. (laughs) Why would someone make this? Unless it's working. In which case, like, shit. Uh, but, um, yeah, suffice to say, I understand so much more about the old person's psyche after sitting through shit like that for three hours with nothing better to do. Um, and I think that's actually all I have to talk about. Uh, oh, yeah, no, I watched, what's the, what's the Disney or Pixar, what's the one with the Italians? Oh, Luca. Uh, fucking, um, Luca. Yeah, yeah, we watched that one. Did you like it? It was... Re- really funny watching the Italians be racist to literally anyone else. Just gotta put that out there. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, like that part's good, but not <laughs> the movie itself is fine, but that part's really good. Yeah, <laughs> you make your own fun with that. It's it's fine. You get you get like at least three dudes that come out just talking like bibbidi bobbidi boo, and it's like yeah, okay, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I got. Go ahead. All right. Well. uh some breaking news I learned from my wonderful friend Mac. Um, he's been getting his girl into Keanu Reeves movies. Like they watch all the John Wicks together. They watch all three John Wicks together, like all in a row. So they were looking for more to watch. I suggested you know, Point Break. Apparently, she's never seen The Matrix, which seems impossible. So he put on Constantine, and like twenty minutes in, she was like, "I don't, I don't want to watch this." <laughs> she suggested, yeah. "Hey, I know a movie you can watch." So she grabs the remote. Chris, look in my eyes as I tell you. She puts on Knock Knock and then just gets up and goes and does the dishes, <laughs> leaving him to watch it. <laughs> One of the funniest things I've ever heard. The agony this man was left in. One Whoa. of the most wretched movies I've ever seen in my life. Just know you're not alone, friend. Thank you. Good. God. Damn. I, I think I mentioned in the Spoilers on Click channel that I was uh, redoing my most hated movies list. Knock Knock, still up there. Strong it's number four. So <laughs> it's so fucking bad. So, I watched the original Flatliners for reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had never seen it before. I didn't know it was a real movie. My only frame of reference was the joke and pop star where Bill Hader <laughs> talks about doing weekly <laughs> F-line sessions. <laughs> Which is like on the list. A top five joke in that movie for me. <laughs> that non sequitur of him just in that lab being brought back from the dead. <laughs> such a good bit in that fucking movie. So I was like, okay, it's like it's Bill Hader's a big movie nerd, he would reference some shit. No, it's like a fucking Jerry Schumacher movie with Kevin Bacon, Julia Roberts, and Keith Mer Sutherland. Do you do you mean Joel Schumacher? I do. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I forget. <laughs> I have a lot of Cohen stuff on the brain after the movie. I'm going to talk about it. Uh, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Oh, we'll get there. And of yeah. course, uh, the hunk of the group is Billy Baldwin. This is a different. <laughs> time yes. See what I didn't. What makes that joke in Pop Star so much better is the aforementioned quote of, "I try to fit in at least one F line sesh a week," and then watching the movie and realizing. They do it once and spend the entire runtime just being haunted by the sins of their past. So the perspective of this guitar tech, just like every Friday night, being legally dead and just being chased by ghosts. 
is so much fucking funnier. The movie honestly kind of slaps. It's pretty good. Uh, it feels like he could do more with the premise, but for what it is, it's actually really enjoyable. I was expecting absolute hot garbage until I saw that cast pull up. And if it's not on the list, it used to be. That's half of the reason I watched it. Uh, that was a fun surprise. Uh, this was not a fun surprise for me. So I've mentioned before I listened to the Blank Check podcast. They do directors' whole filmographies. I was a pig in shit when they announced they were doing Sam Raimi. First episode drops, The Evil Dead. I'm excited, excuse to rewatch it. I listen to it. It gets to the end of the episode, I'm like, alright, cool, and I get to go home and watch Evil Dead 2. And they go, alright, next week's episode, Crime Wave. What the <laughs> fuck is this? <laughs> Crime Wave is the most baffling thing I've ever seen in my life. Baffling. This is a movie that on paper should be perfect and is almost unwatchable. Crime Wave is a movie directed by Sam Raimi, co-written by him and the Coen brothers, with Bruce Campbell being like the most snobby rich asshole you could possibly imagine, and it's a parody of film noir, and it sucks so fucking bad. It is unintelligible. Scenes just fall one into the other. There's no... It's all non-sequiturs. It's just... Alright, now here's another Three Stooges gag. Alright, now this thing will be like a Looney Tunes thing. It is unpleasant. The uh, There's a big bad that's chasing him. That, uh, but, oh, fuck. The thing that annoys me is after last week's episode, I wrote a note to myself. Like, hey, like try and write down plot stuff. Don't just try and go off the top of your head because you're fucking bad at it. This movie is so fucking incomprehensible that I immediately <laughs> just step on a rake. Because it's... Let me put it this way. Uh, they turned in their print, and the studio watched it went, Cool, so you need to film something for the beginning and the end, because none of this makes sense. You have to make a framing device now, because there's no telling who's doing what, why it's happening, who's affected by it. It's just so painfully unfunny. And as we've discussed, truly nothing worse than an unfunny comedy. It's like every bad instinct of his love of Three Stooges, just on full effect. The big bad... You know, that's so uh, surprising. Yeah. The big burly guy that's chasing the entire movie. Every single line of dialogue, grunt, laugh, everything is 80 yard. And let me tell you something. It's fucking noticeable. <laughs> They're not subtle with it. They didn't have the money for that back then. It is the what year worst did this come possible... Out? Oh, God. I should have written it down, but... Was it, like, early 90s or something? I think, no, oh, it was it like, mid-90s or something? It would have been after Evil Dead and stuff like that. Evil Dead. Well, it's the second movie. This is the reason he had to do an Evil Dead, too. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is the big oh, follow-up. Oh, no. 85, baby. Oh, boy. I don't want to watch this. It is the worst possible version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's like if everything in that movie did not work. Because, like, on paper, like, yeah, it's very cartoony. It's making fun of the specific genre. It's got a lot of... I mean, it does have a lot of cool visuals. There's a a couple really good visual bits in it, but it is not worth it. It does not work Mm -hmm. at all. There's a difference between manic energy and manic where you look down at your phone and look up and go, how how are we here? Who is this? (laughs) How did... Okay, sure, whatever. And when you get that confused, like, I could rewind, but 
I don't care. I'm not having a good time. It is. Uh, you know, it's weird because, like, I think about, like, the Three Stooges stuff. And the Three Stooges stuff is, like, my favorite, one of my favorite parts of Army of Darkness. Because it's very obvious. And I, I grew up with the Three Stooges. And I love the Three Stooges. And I guess it's just kind of weird to, to see it not work or to hear about it not working. The worst part about this movie, and, like, it's kind of the reason it's maybe worth watching just once is that everything about filming it was an absolute nightmare. Like, oh, think yeah. about... You read the book about Fury Road, right? Yeah. About how that shoot was just a fucking disaster from top to bottom, and everyone was like, this is never going to fucking work. This man mm-hmm. doesn't know what he's doing. We're stranded out here. So take that, all that stuff he read, but then have the final product, instead of being Fury Road, being something that's disowned by literally everyone involved. Ooh. Like you asked Sam Raimi about it, he might just he might just fucking Will Smith you right in the face. <laughs> Cohen Brothers will never acknowledge it. Anytime you ask Bruce Campbell, he'll at least like be funny about it, but they're like, yeah, it's fucking terrible. Yeah, you know this we all make mistakes, that, kid. <laughs> that's the movie where, that uh, brought his famous quote: "It wasn't escaped, it released." That's the movie <laughs> he's talking about. It is bad. The studio took over and added a bunch of shit, but it's clear watching it like. There's no fucking, like, Zack Snyder cut of this movie. There's no version of this movie, like, where you take out the interference where it works. It is just misguided through and through. Absolutely did not like it. We'll never watch it again. But the context of doing the original Evil Dead for, like, $5 and a bunch of loan from dentists, having a studio work with you, make this, and go, well, back to Evil Dead 2. It's worth it just for that that, gradual progression, but... I cannot see a moment in my life where I ever even think about putting this on again. Oh, yeah. Irritating but, is the... But I guess it's good to have, like, like, historical context now, you know? Yeah, it's very irritating. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's weird is, like, I've read all three of Bruce Campbell's books, and I don't even remember him talking about Crime Wave. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they wanted him to be the star, and the studio said no, and they just picked some guy no one's ever heard of. It's like, how do you drop the ball with... Look at this dude. How do you, yeah, seriously, like, I remember the first time I watched Army of Darkness, I was like, how is he not, like, the biggest star in Hollywood? This guy rules. And the crazy thing is, like, in The Evil Dead, like, he's just the G-shucks, oh, oh, golly, just getting beat Mm -hmm. on. And this movie's where he really goes full, like, okay, we're gonna write this extended part for you since they don't want you to star in the fucking movie. Or he's just, as he described himself, a heel. And he's just a real shitty, high-rolling asshole and that just becomes like his whole persona for the rest of his career. There's an incredible line where it's like off in the background. If you're not paying attention, who could blame you? He's hailing a cab with a woman, and this pull up, he's like, "Oh, the cab? Oh, you'll get that. I don't want to break a hundred. And it's just like fully off screen, but you hear it, and you're like, "Yeah, that's fucking Bruce Campbell. He's great at this." Yeah. Uh, even under ninety minutes, just just not good. Under 90 minutes, he says. I wonder what list it's on. Hey, Chris, you know what else is not good? <laughs> what Star is not Trek good? Into Darkness. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alex, <laughs> for assigning this to me. Wait, yeah, what did totally, I have to do It was totally this? him that did that, absolutely. Oh, that was, I didn't know that was what you. What the fuck oh. would I do this to you, man? I was, I was actually going to ask, like, why did you do this? I thought this whole time it was in my headcanon that you assigned me Star Trek Into Darkness. I, I guess it was you why I did it. Please do. As I mentioned off mic, uh, I had put this on once before, and upon mm-hmm. rewatching it, I realized I was, I was, 
I was also in outer space. I didn't remember a fucking frame <laughs> of this movie. So, like, I didn't realize it was going to be that much of a blind watch, but ever since Rise of Skywalker, I've had this itch of, like, how much of this has been right in front of us for, like, almost a decade? How much yeah. of him setting up things and having to pay them off has just been sitting here? And also, when I quote-unquote watch this, the only Star Trek media I'd ever seen was the 2009 movie. And since then, you assigned me the Wrath of Khan, uh, the Star Trek episode where he shows up and the one written by Harlan Ellison. So it's mm-hmm. not a ton of perspective, but I at least have seen the movie this it's, is it's based enough. on. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, That's okay, a... now I, I can see why people would be mad. Let me go in with fresher eyes. Yeah, the two out of three only of those thing are... that, <laughs> only thing I knew Sorry. about this movie was the entire build-up to it. I didn't give a shit. I wasn't going to see it in theaters. The entire right, build yeah, was... Sir. Guys, I promise, we're totally not doing Wrath of Khan. And everyone's like, no, but for real, like, are you doing that? They're like, absolutely not. That would be so lame. We're totally not doing that. And then it came out, and then every topic about it was, I fucking knew it. This movie sucks ass. <laughs> so I spent this time thinking, like, oh, are they just mad that they remade their precious baby movie for nerds? Like, I don't care. Now, it turns out they're mad because it fucking sucks so bad. Yeah, there is so much to say. Uh, Alex, strap in. We might be going longer than we do about Breathing Fire for this one. So, <laughs> I'm very okay with that. So, so just oh. a little like behind-the-scenes stuff. There's this guy on our Discord who we don't like very much who really hates J.J.A. And I'm sitting right here. Yeah. <laughs> he, he despises J.J. Abrams and to the extent that I was like, really? I didn't think he's that bad. I like Super 8. And that's usually like my J.J. Abrams defense is, ah, Super 8's pretty good. And then I went through J.J. Abrams' filmography, and I was like, whoa, whoa, oh, oh, no. And uh, there's a lot of bad stuff on there. But I remember when I watched the 2009 Star Trek, kind of a guilty pleasure. Because uh, I, that was the first Star Trek thing I'd ever seen. My parents dragged me to the theater, and uh, that was like, I don't know, fine, whatever. And I actually, you know, it's all right. Like, the characters are really, you know, uh, exaggerated, I suppose, but... It was kind of nice just seeing it in a theater experience with like people who grew up with the show pointing at the Enterprise and seeing it on the screen. It was like a big deal for them. Contrast this was like, I don't know why this is always like the the movie adaptation of an old TV show that I go for, but compared to like the Flintstones movie, it's like people are just kind of disgusted that they're seeing that. I have many bad things to say about J.J. Abrams in the next uh, 45 minutes here. Yes. Make him put a cast together. I won't dispute that. Oh yeah, that, can that put is together an true. ensemble cast of interesting and exciting people that can play oh, well yeah. off of each other. Now, no, he was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, for example, Zachary Quinto as Spock, great casting. Uh, Christopher Pine as uh, as Captain Kirk, great casting. Simon Pegg as Scotty, what a great decision. That was that was a great idea. I wish I thought of that. Uh, Anton Yelchin as Chekhov, pretty good. Uh, John Cho as uh, as Sulu, I was like, I don't, I don't know if that really works, but fine. At that whatever. point, there were three Asian actors in Hollywood. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so they didn't have a lot board. to go with. And uh, Zoe Saldana as uh, Nichelle Nichols' roles, like that's pretty inspired casting. That works uh, for me. Uh, but uh, I, anyway, again, so the 2009 one, I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. And then I decided, well, I've got plenty of time. I'll go watch the original series. And I ended up loving it. I'm not a Trekkie, but I was like, wow, this is very good storytelling. And that's what I want from uh, my science fiction. That's about something, and you know, there's, it's got something there. And uh, to watch the original series and go back and watch the 2009 version, you're like, oh, jeez, what are we doing? Like, it's, it's still a good movie, but 
and it feels weird to say this, it doesn't really feel like Star Trek. Because Star Trek is supposed no. to be a little bit slower. It's a, it's, a, it's a little bit more contemplative. You're, we're talking about ideas here, and you really have to think things through. Star Trek 09 feels like the third best Star Wars movie. Uh, it definitely that, makes sense yeah. that they picked him to do Force Awakens. Yeah, also, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, if you want Star Trek, that's a very expensive movie to make. Yeah. You want to make that money back. That's just uh In fact, that's how uh, it goes. It was 2009, man. It was a long time ago. You got to you got to dumb it down. In fact, we should maybe address this now uh, on our sister podcast, which isn't a podcast, Red Letter Media is half in the bag. Actually, I think it was a Plinkett review. Uh, Mike Staclasa said that J.J. Uh, Abrams would be a good idea to direct Star Wars movies. And I understand where he was coming from when he, when he said that, but it didn't really end up uh, that good, we can How say. How could he have known? Yeah, exactly. How the could other thing any is, like, of he, us have He known? actually did have a good defense for that. He was like, he should have directed them, but not written them. And uh, look what happened. So, anyway... Uh, the thing about Star Trek 09, which continues on to the Star Trek Into Darkness, is they take these character traits that you developed on uh, the original series and in the movies, and it exaggerates them. And it has to exaggerate them because Star Trek, while very, very popular and an important piece of Americana, is not super popular. It's A lot of people don't even know what Star Trek is anymore in 2009. There's nothing wrong with that. So you take these character traits and you really expand it, because uh, I'm going to be honest, uh, Sulu didn't really have much of a character in the original show, and even Uhura didn't really have much of a character in the original show. But Spock had a character, and Kirk had a character, and Bones had a character. They decided not to go into much detail there, which breaks my heart, because Carl Urban is really good. Oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> His portrayal of Bones right? is magical. <laughs> it, it is. It's one of the best parts of the entire movie, for both of them. Anyway, uh, so it's like, it's super exaggerated, and also, instead of like slowing down and thinking things through, and thinking about what effect we have on the universe, it's an action movie. But it's a really good action movie. Like, Star Trek 09 is, like, fun to watch. It's well-filmed, it's well-choreographed, it's, like, well-shot and everything. I'm like, wow, J.J. Abrams is a good director. Let's not isolate that audio. Bigfoot, I see you in the control booth. Put it Too late. No. Uh, okay. right. So... <laughs> right next to Tom Hanks. <laughs> the one, yeah. <laughs> so, Star Trek Into Darkness. What could possibly go wrong? First of all, they cast uh, Benedict Bumpernuts in there as the villain. And I'm like, oh, who is the villain going to be? John Steven, not a bad guy. My yeah, favorite James... Star Trek character. Was his name James Harrison or something? It was yeah, just like, fucking just like ridiculous. The, the, most, Steelers. the most corn-fed name ever. Like, yeah. Like, come on. Don't piss on my face and tell me it's raining, JJ. I'm not stupid. Yeah. So the movie actually begins with a chase sequence on an alien planet in which Kirk flagrantly violates the Prime Directive twice. And uh, the prime, I don't even like saying the Lots. words prime directive because it sounds too nice. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> it, it just it's it just says uh, he he breaks the rules. You know, he lets his ship be seen by an ancient civilization. Does that come back? No. So there's also a volcano that's going to erupt and destroy all the people who live there. Uh, and Spock decides that he will stop the volcano exploding with cold fusion. Alex. Is cold fusion actually cold? Is it, <laughs> is it no, actually... <laughs> they use that to stop them. That's not how cold fusion You know, is. they can't put it in the name if it's not true. That's, so. You know, that's a good point. So, uh, false advertising. Also, they've done this on Star Trek before. <laughs> and they also didn't go into orbit. They could just do this without being seen. But anyway, Kirk fucks that up. Uh, 
and they have to escape. And it's all running and yelling and shouting and people chucking spears at them in a very classy way. Oh, and uh, <laughs> and I'm just like, my, my first thought is, this is not Star Trek. What are what are we doing here? The whole movie is everyone's just shouting at each other. There's a lot of punching and yelling and running around and everything, and it just doesn't feel like Star Trek. So uh, Kirk is just flagrantly violating the rules, like, just constantly. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's who he was on the show, you know. He was a brash young upstart and everything. Did you guys watch the show? No, he isn't. He, he was by the book. The one time Kirk was, like, flagrantly violating the rules was in Star Trek Three to, like, revive his dead friend. And that was, like, a hey, big fucking deal. You gotta make some conflict. I, I understand that. I understand that, and I don't mind, because this is also, like, it's a younger Kirk, young. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's young. That being said, he's so young that they're, the exaggerations are getting to be way too much for each character. I'll go through it right now. Captain Kirk, he's a good-looking guy, right? William Shatner, young William Shatner, he's a good-looking guy. Chris Pine is almost too good-looking now. And you look at him, and I don't see Kirk anymore. I just see Chris Pine, and I'm like... I don't mind, because I like looking at Chris Pine, but, like, that's a bit much. Also, in the show, yes, Kirk French-kissed a lot of alien women. I like that. In this, he he's like the wolf from those droopy shorts, where he's just, like, the hearts are, like, coming out of his eyes. <laughs> Literally, like, people have done, like, supercuts of this. Every single time a woman walks by him, you could see his head turn and crane like this. You can practically hear him go, oh, boo, 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 pussy? And he's just like looking like that. Every single time, like a woman walks in, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, then we go to Spock. In the original movie, they kind of clear something up that he's half Vulcan and half human, which is how he can have emotions. Fine, whatever, I don't care. In this, he's so Vulcanish, he's so completely logical and unemotional. He sounds like young Sheldon. He really I couldn't get past is. it. It's. <laughs> There's, it's full autism. There's no way it to is. describe it. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. It is so ridiculous yeah, right. that when the emotion does come through in certain That's select scenes, you're just like, what are you doing? What the hell is this? Uh, the, the character played by Zoe Saldana, Uhura, she's like in, she's like the kind of bitchy girlfriend role now. You're like, what? come on. She's like a great yeah, character. Don't love that for her. That's her role yeah. in this whole movie is to be mad at Spock for... Yeah, wanting to sacrifice his life to save a planet? Yeah. Question mark. Yeah, not doing the dishes. You're not communicating with me. You know, like what is this? She's better than that. Uh, John Cho is the Asian one. He hits the buttons. Yeah, and <laughs> and Bones. Unfortunately, Bones has like nothing to do. Uh, Bones is as mad during this movie as I was watching it. <laughs> He's so good. His entire character just <laughs> exasperated in every frame. <laughs> Actually, oh, I will say that he's the, one the ones, he's, he's one of the ones that they sort of dialed back from the show instead of exaggerating. They went the opposite direction, probably for a good reason. As great of a character as Bones is, Bones in the original show was a racist. He was anti-Vulcan. Uh, that being Come said, so was Kirk in this movie. He actually says the words, never trust a Vulcan. I'm like, uh, dude, come on. He's right outside. He could probably hear you. Uh, it was a, a little alarming to hear captain kirk say something like that but whatever he's a young captain kirk it's okay so let's get on to benedict bumpernuts uh who does not in fact play an outside linebacker for the pittsburgh steelers uh instead he plays con god spending now, this whole movie hiding his identity like motherfucker you didn't make a 200 hundred dollar movie where the bad guy is 
John Smith. Like, go fuck yourself. Tell me who this really is. Yeah. And my God. Like, let me to reiterate, as someone who has... I appreciate Star Trek, but I have no affinity for it. There's no mm-hmm. love lost. I don't care. That con name drop. The dud in the room. <laughs> it's just... It's the fucking Ray Palpatine thing. It's so fucking embarrassing. Like... They it really give that is. moment so much weight, and you can. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's so Dude, embarrassing. It's a good thing I wasn't in the room. I would have punctuated that dud because I actually said out loud while I was watching it. What? <laughs> and I, I want to Damn, some. you really thought you did something there, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's I was, supposed to be I was actually huge reveal. Like, yeah, no fucking shit. Yeah. Who else would it be? I actually got like really annoyed by that, and get to this in a second here, but. Just because it's a character that I know, I'm. I'm. Star Trek fans are not quite like Star Wars fans. We don't point the screen and go, "I know what that is." Things have to be there for a reason. Here's an example. In this movie, there's a. Yeah, you do, Piggy. No, we don't. In, in this movie, there's a there's a Tribble. All right, and the Tribbles are like from the episode uh, "The Trouble with Tribbles" and stuff. Oh, you know what that is? I do know what that is. Uh, but like I. Check when me. I see it there, my first thought was like, oh, what are you just referencing it for references sake? And it turns out, no, there actually is something that they're doing. I don't like what they're doing, but they're doing something with it. Uh, for for having Khan there, there's like no reason to do it besides this is something that you know. In fact, even non-Star Trek fans know who Khan is just simply because they know the line from Wrath of Khan where he yells, Khan! And it's that's oh, just dude. something that's there. We, we'll get to it. We'll get to dude, it. Dude, dude, we'll dude. Get to it. We'll get to it. Okay. Anyway, like, because that's like a big deal. He was going to leave uh, in in Rathacon. He was going to leave Kirk stranded on a, a planet with like nothing to do, and he would have been bored. So, <laughs> no wonder he was angry. And in this, like, the fact that they have this character in there, uh, first of all, Khan was played by Ricardo Montalban, this great actor, just so much fun to, to watch, and he had tits like this. He was, like, doing all these motions. He looked physically fit. Like, and he looked like he could kick someone's ass. Benedict Bumpernuts? I, I can't believe it. It, like, completely suspends my disbelief. Like, it, it's impossible. He's, like, beating people up. He's taking punches to the chops. I'm sorry. I, I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> he took that punch from Kirk the way Chris Rock took the slap. From he Wilson. did, yeah. He did that <laughs> repeatedly. And I was just like, when he said he would go back for another punch, it's like, this is what Kirk does to him. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> I think Benedict Cumberbatch is a good actor. You can tell me as many times as you want how savage and fierce of a warrior you are. If you have that face, like, you have that it ain't face. happening. You it's, are it reminds a fucking me of something buck Alex thirty said. soaking wet. Yeah. Go fuck yourself, it, dude. It reminds me of something Alex said when we were talking about the movie nineteen seventeen. He's like, "There's something about the British face." And yeah, <laughs> Benedict, Benedict yeah. He has the British face. We're just does. like, come he, on. He is quite possibly the ultimate Brit face. It like, really is. He, yeah. It's, it's, even the fucking movie where he plays Julian Assange, like the whole time you're looking at him, it's like. Julian Assange looks like a freaky weirdo like all you British people, and you still don't look like him because exactly. you look British. Exactly. That's exactly what's going on. So, uh, Khan, for those who don't know, which is most people don't know what Star Trek is, he's like this superhuman genetic experience, and he's just like experimenting. He's oh, like, like Broly. Thank you. Finally. <laughs> Finally. So now <laughs> I just Parker want to make sure now, I understand. Now Parker likes the movie. To watch this. So anyway, uh, he's super strong, he's also extremely intelligent, and I'm like, that's... Not really what kind of, it was just cunning. It's kind of mean, really. Because there was, like, wrath in there. Anyway, uh, there's a bunch of torpedoes and stuff. So- okay, so here's, like, the weird thing, is 
Parker was telling me beforehand that he was watching and he couldn't really follow the plot. And I didn't want to, like, be mean or anything, but I was like, how could you not? It's, like, the simplest Star Trek plot I've ever seen in my life. And now that I'm saying that, I don't know how to describe it in words. Exactly. <laughs> like, I understand really stupid. That, uh, why, how they're getting from point A to point B. Yeah. But I don't understand why there's so many variables thrown yeah. in. This whole yeah. fucking subplot with Peter Weller's daughter suck my whole ass oh. movie. Why are you two yeah. hours? Let me let me no, tell I you something. I understand what his plan was, but you'd look away for five minutes and be like, "Oh, now they're on this planet, I guess, and they have to get to the airlock." And he teleported there, and I don't fucking say his name already. Come on, yeah, let's go. See, that, that was the thing. It's like so she plays Carol Marcus. This is how embarrassing it is. You can't call me a Trekkie now because I just watched Wrath of Khan in theaters, and they say Carol Marcus in this movie. I'm like, who's that? <laughs> that was like one of the main characters no of Wrath of, that was from Wrath of God. I had no idea. <laughs> also because she's a lot younger and, and bountiful cleavage. So, very happy for that. Hey, uh, you gotta sell yeah. those tickets, baby. Uh, so, uh, let me see if I can recount the plot. So, Khan, who's uh-huh. disguised as uh-huh. James Harrison, uh, mm-hmm. is he's enacting terrorist plots on Starfleet Command thing because... Command Admiral Marcus, uh, who's in Star Command or Star oh, Starfleet, Star Commands with Buzz Lightyear. Starfleet is uh, he was bad to Khan. He woke Khan up from his genetic sleep and started killing his people off or something like that. Because they want Khan to help fight the Klingons. Yeah. Because right, right, Klingons. to fight the, the, Klingons, the Klingons, Klingons will be a thing later. Like but hey, maybe yeah. that'll be a movie sometime, guys. Yeah. But not yeah. this time. Right. I don't even remember if the Klingons were in the way. original <laughs> series or if that was like next generation. I don't even remember. So. Uh, so he woke him up. So, like, the, oh, so they woke strong. up uh, Khan and they, uh, they're they able to capture him. And he says, open up one of those torpedoes that we were supposed to fire. Oh, by the way, they have like 72 torpedoes. And if they and fire those like, off, oh, they can cool, like, destroy sick. the ship. Put them on board. Yeah, that's they, fine. Wait, Scotty brings up a good point. It's like, when did we turn into a military thing? We're supposed to go out exploring and searching for new life and everything. Why? When did we start just absentmindedly killing people? And Kirk says, well, it's a direct order. I have to do it. And Scotty's like... I just won't go on your ship. And Kirk the says, notorious rule okay. follower, as we saw in the opening scene of the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just doesn't do that. Oh yeah, the cool thing here is he loses command of his ship, and we're like, oh, that's a big moment. He's the captain. Who's going to be the new captain? Well, it's it's Kirk because the other guy dies. <laughs> so anyway, uh, <laughs> all of these convoluted things open up the, just to like uh, waste oh, thirty yeah. minutes yeah, they open up- and get back to where we started. Bro, did I really lag out again? I'm gonna fucking kill myself. Uh, yeah, uh, you're you're kind of cutting in and out again. I'm hoping it'll fix itself. Okay, so uh, there is a moment in which they they take Khan's blood just because they want to run some tests on it, and they inject the blood into one of the uh, into one of the tribbles that had died, a Same. dead tribble, and they're putting human blood in there. And I'm like, what the fuck am I looking at right now? What is this? And it brings the dead triple back to life. So, Khan is immortal, I guess. We're going to have to... I think, Parker, we're going to have to wait for you to come back. I'm listening. I can't tell how far back Oh, wait, I wait. Oh, there you're good. You're good. Okay. Oh, you're good. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. So, uh, anyway, Khan's like, oh, you got to let me go. And then they have to go fight Admiral Marcus as these two ships fighting against each other. And this is where I really run against the people who say this is a remake of Wrath of Khan. They're not remaking it. They're just taking the characters from Wrath of Khan and putting them into a new movie and a new story and everything. And it sucks. You know, I don't know how to say it like in a really like 
you know, a, a really cohesive way. I don't know how to put this in a way that's like, oh, you know, fair criticism of here. Because it's just, it's just bad ideas. It's a lot of bad ideas that don't make sense together. And then I looked what? up who wrote this movie. <laughs> yep. Damon Lindelof. Friend of the show. Yeah, One apparently he wrote Lost. One of the worst things that a bad movie can do is directly reference a good movie that you'd rather be watching. To have Leonard Nimoy just show up and go, man, we fought Khan once. That dude was fucking crazy. Can we, that was a can real we talk tough about battle. the way that he does that? Like, Spock oh. tells old Spock, he's like, uh, hey, uh, you, you guys ever run across this Khan guy? Uh, what'd you do there? And old Spock, who, by the way, they're just filming at his house. They just did this on an iPhone. <laughs> they didn't even dress him up. Talking he's just like, I'm not allowed God to tell you. Man. Yeah, I'm not allowed to tell you anything that happens to you because it might affect your destiny. And I was like, but! <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, Young Spock nods, but! <laughs> Actually, Young Spock's really funny. <laughs> so, he really does sound like Young Sheldon in this fucking movie. And he's like, yeah, Khan is uh, really bad, it's hard to beat him, and it was like, it came at great personal cost. Which means that Spock fucking died! So in this movie, uh, Kirk dies, and it's like sort of like a similar sort of thing. But again, it's not even like a remake; they're just doing some dumbass similar fucking thing. Oh yeah. Also, uh, let's say that you were in a spaceship and someone like opened a window. You get sucked out into space and you die, right? So, yeah. <laughs> Thank God nobody did that to the Bigfoot on Icarus One. <laughs> <laughs> It all comes back to that. <laughs> right, yeah. So they actually do that in this movie, and Scotty lives through the experience. And I'm just like, that's not how space works. That's like the biggest violation of Star Trek rules that you can do. You can do that in like Star Wars. I wouldn't yeah, care. I was about to say, I'll give it a pass. Not yeah. even when Princess Leia did that. We'll fuck, we talk yeah. about that shit. Yeah, exactly. But like, yeah. I, Star Trek. Star Trek, on, you, don't, you don't get to do that. Come on now. We have rules here. And, uh, oh yeah, so anyway, Kirk dies. And... Look, wish enough, it's not even because I know that Star Trek Beyond comes after this, but, like, you you can't just kill off Captain Kirk. He's Captain Kirk, you know? So, then Spock yells Khan. I could not believe it. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> it I would have walked off the, the fucking set, dude. Oh, my, I, I yeah. could not. That's so humiliating. And the thing is, like, I understand why it's being done, because they're showing, oh, here's his human side. He is not deprived of emotions. Yeah, I wish he fucking was, so he wouldn't do something dumbass like that. It was fucking stupid, dude. So, it gets worse, because they use Khan's blood to revive Kirk. Parker, no one's ever really gone. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe it's because I've experienced loss at a personal level, but, like, if someone dies, maybe they should just be dead. And I know that I'm saying that when, like, like Con, not Con, uh, Spock died in, in Star Trek 2, and they brought him back in 3. You know what, 3 wasn't even that good of a movie. Well, they so, like, waited we, we don't for a different fucking movie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they brought him back later, you know, and they was like, you, you know, know what? You sit there we'll for a couple years, you need to think about it and be like, damn, is exactly. he really gone? <laughs> yeah. And I'll just be like, damn, that's crazy. Give me a vial of your magic blood. Yeah. By the way, the writers of this movie, they fucking love magic blood. See also oh. Amazing Spider-Man. Jesus. Oh, God, did they do that too? Fuck. <laughs> you see, Peter, only your blood <laughs> can take the spider serum. That's why you have powers. <laughs> yeah. So, uh... There, there's so much running and shouting and punching in this movie. Oh, yeah, and space laser guns. 
Remember they didn't even, like, use those that much on Star Trek? They, they were always, like, set to stun? Because you don't want to actually kill anybody? And then this one, now they're gonna, like... Gay. It's, like, it's Oh yeah. Also, like a really good example of like contrast between <laughs> of contrasting between this Star Trek and like the Star Trek that I like is that th- that space battle in Wrath of Khan takes place in the nebula where you, you can't use like the tracking system and stuff, and they just it's like really slow and methodical, and like they're hiding from each other in this like space cloud thing, and it's like really tense. Is he going to sneak up on him? That sort of thing. And in this one, these just like they're going against like other bigger ships that have like a bunch of stupid fucking lasers and everything it's just lame <laughs> it, it, it says just, like ah that ship can go through warp speed and catch you like okay yeah it's well we're 30 minutes into the movie i think we'll be okay yeah i it, it's so so lame and i can't i can't get over spock just being young sheldon the whole time it's just because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like remember when fucking batista did it in gardens of the galaxy where he's like nothing would go over my head my reflexes are too fast i would catch it and like that's funny because batista's got comedic chops what he's doing in this one is like he there, there's no emotion behind it so it, there's no humor at all it's it's like if someone's completely deadpan, that that only works for certain comedic moments, you know? And it doesn't work in this. It's just kind of... I, I don't know. There's nothing funny about it. I don't think I laughed once in this whole thing. I like the part where uh, he was fighting with her and went, sit on my face. That was really good to me. <laughs> Con leaves him and just goes, Ani else, turd nuggets. <laughs> oh, I realized they that, uh, see him? I went to the kitchen to grab something that came back, and I asked my girlfriend, like, wait, did Khan die? She's like, I don't know, I wasn't watching. <laughs> I just looked away during them dispatching the fucking enemy, and then it shows him the cryo tomb. I was like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> See, that's the thing, is like, so I looked up the, the crest, I was like, wait, how come there's two Spocks now? Because I remembered the 09 version, and I was like, yeah, he goes back in time and meets himself, who cares? Uh, it was like, how if Khan's over here, like, they're going to meet him again in Spacey. They have to know who he is this time. Turns out, no, this is like an alternate timeline thing. And it's you know what? Alternate that timeline sucks. is a space rift. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I mean, yeah, it I don't fucking sense. care, man. I mean, we can, that's a whole fucking thing. I know it makes sense. One, but I understand. But look, if they're going to make if they're gonna make alternate universes, then they have to grapple with this question. Why am I seeing the shitty one? I want to see the cool one. <laughs> because people don't watch old things. Yeah. That's, that's well, your reason. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> this, this one, uh, yeah, Star Trek Into Darkness was fucking terrible. Alex, fuck you for assigning this to me. Yeah, dude, Sorry, we're fucked up. You made us time. both watch it with one wish. Yeah, yeah. We, we put a loaded gun to my head and said you have to watch this or else. Now, well, please watch Star Trek. Dragon Balls I have left. Yeah. <laughs> please watch Star anyway, Trek Beyond. Uh, it's actually good, I promise. I, I like it back heard, then. Yeah, I've heard, yeah, yeah, I've heard <laughs> Beyond is actually good. good. So I'm going to I'm gonna give that one a shot. At some point, I'll get also, around the next gen, but like I don't fucking care. So. Also, Simon Pegg has a writing credit on it because the script they Ooh, had was Oh, that's all I need. That's real good. That's all I need. It's real good. Simon Pegg's like the only part I liked about this movie. That and Bones, who again, that's like one of the biggest problems is like bones was a main character in the original show he's like he's the human side of things and in this he's they're like shoving him in the background i was like damn it i like him i told you over text that bones reacts in every scene like i react when you get a horror movie fact wrong <laughs> he's so cool <laughs> god damn it jim he gets his mask in the third one you're like okay dude just fucking chill it's not a big deal I love Carl Urban his bones so much. <laughs> Doctor, I need 50 Critters movies, stat. 
There's only seven, Jim. <laughs> My God, Jim, they go to space in this one. He's got like some of the best lines in the show and the movies and everything, and this one, it's, it's almost nothing for him to do. It breaks my heart. I don't know what else Carl Urban's done off the top of my head, but like he's the best part of the movies. He should be the main character. Fuck Kirk. Uh, you watch he's anything else? He's been a bit part in a million things. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that should do it. We already Yeah, <laughs> yeah we are well into long. this. Oops. All right, Breathing Fire. It's got a uh, short round in it. Yeah, Join us in next round, week's episode of Young. <laughs> and the guy. <laughs> the, okay, let me uh, discuss a fact I learned today, which is that uh, yes. the Uncle Daddy that joins them on their crusade. <gasps> yeah, who the fuck? <laughs> is the suit actor for Lord Zed in like all of Power Rangers. Oh yeah. my that god. Was incredible lore for me. I to don't know who today. Lord Zed is. Okay, so what? anyway. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> God well, damn it, Jim! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Turns out it's Star Trek jokes. Those are what make me laugh. Okay, so there's uh, another character in here who's uh, well known for doing motion capture. We'll get to him in a bit. Uh, anyway, it, like I said at the top of this thing, it's not often that a movie leads with the fact that it's got short round in it. Usually, it's also and featuring this guy. So, uh, yeah, short round's in here. And I want to clarify something. I hate short round the character, not the actor. I actually think the actor's pretty good. Uh, but short round himself was a terrible character in a terrible movie. And if you like that sort of thing, you're racist. So I'm not going to call him short round anymore. I'm going to call him Jonathan K. Round. Yeah. What did, what did Tom Hanks call him? <laughs> it, I thought it was extremely fucked up for Gary Oldman to play that role in Indiana Jones. So, <laughs> Gary, say okay. A lot of Gary Oldman in this one. <laughs> anyway, well, uh, Jonathan K. Kwan is, uh, I think he's actually kind of good in this. He's actually kind of fun. He feels like a very 90s kid, you know, like he seems like a, a 90s kid in all the other ways you see 90s kids. He dresses the same way, he has the same kind of room and everything. He's into the, like martial arts and everything. It's like, I would have liked this character growing up. So, more positive portrayals. And he's going to be in Everything Everywhere all at once, so happy to see that. Anyway, he is with his white brother and their white dad <laughs> driving to... <laughs> driving that to a come martial up arts... <laughs> I'm sure it's just coincidence. Yeah, driving to a martial arts <laughs> tournament. <laughs> I don't know if why... You're I'm at home wondering, like, wow, why is he Asian? Like, what could be the reason behind that? Well, it's the racist. worst thing you can imagine, I promise yeah. you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. Anyway, yeah, they're driving with their dad uh, to a martial arts tournament, and Jonathan K. Kwan's like, hey, can you buy us a car if we win this tournament? It was like, ah, oh, come on, kids. He's like, yeah, how about a Porsche? And the guy's like, yeah, how about I rob a bank? <laughs> Idea. And uh, they go to the martial arts tournament, and it just kind of... It kind of looks like a bunch of the martial arts movies that we've done. It does kind of look like No Retreat, No Surrender in some way. Look, uh, you put all those big stupid trophies on the wall of a high school gym somewhere. I'm going to watch your movie. Yeah, I don't that's, care. Like, I, that's what it takes. I, it probably takes like two hours to set off. You get your money's worth just for me. How many times I'll see it. It's fine. Yes, yeah. So there's a guy with like huge tits who threatens this little Asian boy. <laughs> this guy's like built up like this. He looks like Ricardo Montalban. He looks bigger than Bolo Young. And he's like, this little Asian kid's like, what, 13 years old? Like, what did you say to me, you little punk? I was like, you guys aren't even the same weight class. 
It's like watching the fucking sensei at the karate gym in No Retreat, No Surrender without the scene where the fat kid tells him that uh, he was talking shit about Seattle karate. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just the guy is just instantly fucking pissed that these guys are there. Like, he just knows how they feel about Seattle that's, karate. That's the one thing that this movie's missing is the fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing this movie's missing. Correct. Yeah, that, oh, trust me. Huh, there's a lot. For example, the dad dons a fake mustache and decides to rob a bank using a revolver and kung fu. And uh, <laughs> he does it. So, so I have some questions about this bank robbery, which yes. is, as all bank robbery scenes are, very cool. So first off, before I get into my questions, it does, <clears throat> it does need to be mentioned that Bolo Young is part of his crew. Yes. And he is dressed like a British person in this bank. Yeah. Uh, so that's the thing is he must have got confused. No wonder he went into the bathroom and uh, he was probably looking for, uh, oh, sorry, the loo. He was probably looking for how <laughs> over there. <laughs> Incredibly good that the one piece of trivia on this movie is that he insisted on growing out a ponytail and they were just like, okay. And then just delayed yes, shooting sir. for like three months because they were too scared to tell him no. <laughs> yeah, incredible. They just use that time to be a technical advisor on the kindergarten karate movies. <laughs> so he goes into this bathroom and he gives this guy a swirly for like a minute. Uh, by, there's <laughs> urine in there too, by the way. That wasn't oh, even yeah. like a clean toilet. That was a <laughs> fucking. That is a yellow fucking toilet. And he was and in like, that stall. I, at least flush, dude. Come on. And like, am I stupid or is that the guy that's collaborating with them? He, <laughs> no, he's seems, collaborating. Like, Yes. So he just swirlies the guy to make it look authentic. <laughs> oh, you're, you're oh no, I gotta make him think it's real because I, I just thought Bolo Young saw a white guy. It was just like <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was some line about needing to make it look good. Yeah, slams his head in the bathroom door and then gives him a three stooges <laughs> boink. And then swirlies them after telling him, oh, we gotta make it look convincing. Like, oh man, just punch oh, me. Oh, I didn't know that he said that. Oh my god. I thought it was just Bolo Young just improvising. I, I didn't even know that was scripted. So, uh, uh cut. Yeah. Get him out of there. Get him out of there. <laughs> like he's fucking shot. Bolo Young shot. Bolo Young is trapped in the California lake. I was gonna say, we can't Bolo Young goes to college and only Ronald Reagan can wrangle him. <laughs> <laughs> them air dropping redders and try and muzzle Bolo Young in the river. <laughs> I'm going in after him. He needs our help. They go to like the, the the red carpet for this movie, and there's a bunch of flashing cameras. So you just fucking hear Bolo Young go. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> So we're five minutes into the movie. <laughs> Not even. There's already been a bank robbery in the karate tournament. So yeah. you can tell we're in good hands. Now, oh to my, be fair, the there's a... splicing. Oh, yeah. Our, our, our loyal listeners, both of you, will remember on the previous episode when Alex sold this movie to us, it was describing it. We have gone over 75% of what he told us happens in this movie. There's a lot that he didn't tell us. So oh, they, yeah. So the bank robbers start baking giant keys into pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Now, oh my god! That's what happened, right? I'm not like insane or anything. No, I, that is in fact what happened. They I got all the gold out of the bank. 
Yeah. They took it somewhere else. They locked it up in a safe in an abandoned fucking, like, metallurgy district. Yeah. And they're like, alright, well, there's six of us and two keys. So we're gonna, instead of just, like, giving one person the keys, we're just gonna make a pizza and push the keys into the pizza. And then we're gonna destroy the keys. And then we're each gonna get a piece of the pizza. And the pizza's gonna be our key mold. And also, we're gonna call it the pizza the whole time. <laughs> They're all doing that because, ah, like, no, we oh, now we're all in it together, all for one and one for all. None of you can betray me now. And I'm like, with pizza? It's the, the, it's the key here? Uh, so the bank trader is what I'm going to be calling him now for the next five seconds that he's in the movie. And he looks like George Will. Uh, he types up <laughs> yeah, where he's kinda. going... He types up where he's going to send that key, which uh, I would not do that. And uh, the leader of the bank robbers, also the, the dad of... Um, of uh, Jonathan K. Kwan and the white son. Uh, <clears throat> this guy looks like Emilio Estevez, but with the voice of David Patrick Kelly. And I couldn't get over it for the entire movie. I was like, why the fuck is his voice so high? Did this guy hit puberty yet? What's going on here? It's so good. <clears throat> and uh, he's like, oh, we're going to kill this guy. So he kills the bank trader. And the bank trader's daughter named something i don't jennifer who cares yeah she she takes uh the the slice of pizza that has a key in it and her dog who uh luckily was kept away from the la river and she goes to a junkyard where there's some guy no not a junkyard an auto repair shop and uh there's some guy over there who also is a karate expert <laughs> and uh it just reminds me there's a there's a no offense to Jonathan K. Quad, but there's a lot of white guy karate in this movie, and that is kind oh, of our right. wheelhouse, you know. It's just uh, something that we enjoy here. So we go to Casa del, was it Moore? Is their name? I think <laughs> there, there, yeah. Uh, the bad yeah. guy's name is Michael Moore. Yeah, which uh, just like in real life, we're we're conservative now. We're we're right wing, so <laughs> we were attacked <laughs> by a socialist weasel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my dad is convinced Enjoy he's Canadian. eight-hour Prager you added the start of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we go to their compound, because uh, apparently they're very rich from uh, totally legitimate business. And they have they have an God. uncle daddy that they like to torment. I... This poor dude. What? <laughs> surprised he... he didn't get gunned down halfway through. I'm surprised he didn't gun them down. Can you imagine if Otto treated Tito like this? Dude, honestly, this is like almost like babysitter in uh in Jurassic Park level uh cruelty to one character. This oh, dude yeah. just gets pranked over and over for like ninety seconds straight. The, I seriously, dude, I was looking at this and be like, Bam would be nicer to this guy. <laughs> Bam would have laid off. Bam would have like dialed it back a bit. All of these movies like this have these scenes, and it makes you question, like, wait. Is this for 12-year-olds or, like, 16? Like, what specific age group wants to see all of this karate, but also, like, five minutes of chasing the fat guy around and tripping him? Like, who is this for? I, I will tell you who this is for. This is for poor people. And no offense, I used to be... Jonathan Kekwon has a room. He has a bedroom where he sleeps. And you think to yourself, oh, cool, 90s bedrooms. Remember, Parker, we talked about this, especially in, like, Idle Hands, like the 90s basement, the 90s bedroom. Like, we got to go back, man. The wood panels, walls, those are so cool. Jonathan Kekwon's room is so fucking lame. This is, like, the, just the lamest shit I've ever seen. Like, he's got the fucking, uh, 
I'll, I'll get to it in, in a bit. But uh, he's, that's like the lame part. There's also a cool part of their compound. They have a kung fu dojo on campus. Yeah, dude. Man, I want <laughs> one of those. I didn't even have a wrestling mat when I was growing up. We had to do that on the floor. He's got like, the mats and everything and like a training dummy with his white brother. And he likes to hide in there and trip up his white Uncle Daddy. And uh, his dad's like, well, kids, I have to rob it. I have to do a thing uh, that's legitimate. It's go to the business factory. Uh, how about you guys paint this wall for me? Like, and at, at this point, I was watching this movie. It's like, this movie is under 80 minutes. Why are we wasting time doing this? We can go 70. This ain't going to theaters, motherfucker. Yeah, Let's exactly. Go. What is, what's going on here? And uh, Jonathan Kekwad says, I don't know, Dad. I got three dates tonight. And his white brother says, yeah, you're meeting those three fat chicks. And I was like, <laughs> got him. Take that. Yeah. We have it's to a, go back. It's <laughs> important to know that everyone in this movie, from the kids to the adults to the goons to all the karate guys, all have the exact inflection of like anytime someone clips all the dialogue scenes out of a gay porno and puts them on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Every single person talks like that. Parker, oh, you forgot shit. to mention that I'm you recently sorry. watched. Oh, uh, <laughs> Catalina boy band coming to you. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, anyway, they start painting the wall, and I guess. You know, this is definitely the kind of movie that would rip off Tom Sawyer. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of, too. <laughs> uh, Parker, did you recognize the guy who was painting the wall for them while dancing? I didn't until I uh, clicked on his name on IMDb. I've right, exactly. Many that times is, yeah, TJ Storm, who plays Godzilla in Godzilla King of the Monsters. A lot of mocap work now. Yeah, that guy does a lot of shit, apparently. So uh, All I know is he begins. walked in, and I wrote down, word for word, he's going to start dancing, isn't he? <laughs> I knew it in my fucking heart. I've seen enough of these movies, and sure as shit. Turns out, yeah, you Hello, black I'm your black you. friend. Turn the music up. Great. I like to skateboard. Okay. <laughs> the fact that this entire scene is just so he'll paint their wall for them so they can all go to the club together. It's so fucking Oh, dumb. by the way, that club, it's called The Beach. <laughs> they Which, say, oh, was a real the beach. for me. And they show up at a nightclub. I'm like, he's 14. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> They, they do, they, they have a great way that they get in there, too. TJ Storm was just like, oh, here's my ID. Oops! And he just, like, flips <laughs> it over here. And she's like, oh, looking for like, this, boys. <laughs> <laughs> you never saw us getting into this club, Dr. Jones. Okay. So, <laughs> just want to say that while he was, the way he was painting that wall, because he does it to, like, to the beat where he's, like, rolling the roller on there, which, by the way, that looks like it would have taken, like, what, 30 minutes to do? He, the way that he's like painting, it reminds me of Chris O'Donnell when he was doing his laundry yes. in that Batman movie. Extreme karate laundry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can do two brushes. I can do anything. They're like, Haha, yeah, we tricked our black friend to dance paint. Got him. Let's yeah. go, white brother. Let's go. So, to the club. Uh, they go up to the DJ, and uh, these little thirteen-year-old boys are able to convince the DJ to introduce their black friend. Uh, not doing the voice for that one. And uh, like, okay, here he is, the master of fucking bullshit, whatever. 
their black friend, TJ Storm. And he gets out there and starts immediately doing the robot. So <laughs> <laughs> the fact that if you ask if you say, Hey, do you remember that uh 90s karate movie that just in the middle of it has a guy dressed like Michael Jackson dancing? <laughs> the fact that I have to go, no, which one? BC problem. <laughs> I need you to narrow it down. What yeah, era of Michael? There have Jackson? been multiple ones. There's been more than one. I you know, dude, honestly, I love white guy karate almost as much as I love Seattle karate. Personally, I don't want to mess with Seattle karate, what? guys. This guy's pretty extreme. Also, important to note after this dance scene, this character is never seen again. Of course not. He had to, he he had to, he had to get down to Los Angeles quick. And he's just gone from the movie. He, there was another well, guys, movie that was calling over. him up. I, yeah. I got us to 80 minutes. I got to go back to my home planet. Goodbye. And he's just <laughs> gone. Yeah. Uh, let me let me think about this. Uh, what happens... Happens that oh yeah uh, so they so uh, that guy uh, I think it's David is the uh, guy he's the guy who worked at the at the auto repair shop and he's taking care of the bro the yeah bank, the brother yeah the bank yeah, traders yeah. yeah he's taking care of the bank tra uh, traders daughter and stuff turns out he's actually really good at karate they see him fighting because uh, the bank robbers come looking for the girl because she's got the piece of pizza. If you guys are just like tuning Here in now in the middle of this episode, <laughs> you knew that would get me. Fuck. Yeah. Bring them back. Anyway, some of the great moments of Red Sox history. That was better than winning a ring. Anyway, uh, they uh, they chase after. By the way, they uh, they're able to defeat some of these karate guys by using like fucking three ninjas moves. You know, they're just. The whole like dribble the ball too fast sort of move. Um, that's <laughs> able to confuse. Also, one of the the bank robbers who's using kung fu looks like William the Refrigerator Perry. So I don't really know what he's doing. <laughs> More on him later. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, for that dancing, there's a, there should be an epilepsy warning. There's like some really uh, oh, it's bad. lights. <laughs> <laughs> but we're past that we're past that anyway uh david moore comes in and starts kicking everybody and he's like actually good at karate You're like oh hey some good karate action and then william the refrigerator perry drives away um and they but they have a secret idea they're going to attach a paint can to like the <laughs> the back of his truck and it'll leave a trail of where he went <laughs> and i'm just like Ooh, starting to kidding. sound like junior rodeo daredevils <laughs> It's insane how many scenes are like, okay, and then they meet with the bad guys, and then they fight. Alright, cool, then what happens? And then they leave. And then they're going to meet up again <laughs> in ten the bad minutes. Guys, they're gonna they go, well, I'll get you next time, but I'm going to show up without a gun again. I'm going to drive yes. away now. <laughs> anyway, they, that dog would have been executed. These kids would have been fucking double tapped yeah, immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so... The, the kids go up to David Moore. They're like, wow, Dr. Jones, can you teach us karate? He's like, no, you can't handle my level of karate. And they're like, oh, come on. How hard can it be? We've done Seattle karate. We've done LA karate. And David just goes, kneel with your shins upon these bricks. And I'm looking at him just like, what, is, what are they going to learn from this? It's, it's, it's stupid. It's just such an unnecessary scene in this unnecessary movie. Yeah, and like, it, why it the kids twice. have to earn the right to get karate training? They do it twice. Well, this also, is... yeah, when they have the girl come by, like they're both clearly like, "Oh, she's mine, she's mine, she's mine," uh, and she ends up with a white guy. 
So anyway, hey, we uh, should mention that the girl's parents get fucking murdered viciously yeah. in the middle of this movie. <laughs> you also, I will say <laughs> she seems like the only person who knows that because the entire movie is trying to play it up. It's like, oh, this is even better. Now she has two cute karate doing boys to argue over her. And she just she actually kind of has his face. I don't know if this is acting this way on purpose, but she does kind of look like her parents just got shot. <laughs> like, so, because like, here's an example. She, they, they like, they go into like their backyard to show off their karate moves, which means doing handstands and like placing bricks like this. And her face the entire time is like this. <laughs> she... she takes it pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. <laughs> if you would argue this is an intentionally shell shocked performance, more power to you. I don't. She looks I don't like know. she's never been in front of a camera before. But yeah, yeah you're not wrong. It does kind of. Yeah, it work. does kind of look like that. Also, this is the scene where she goes into Jonathan Kekwon's room. He's like, "Yeah, see a real bachelor room. How do you like it, little girl?" And she's. <laughs> this is also where he takes out what appears to be a mobile of condom balloons. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're doing. So hey, man, you gotta keep them somewhere, right? All right. Well, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I don't want to back up too far, but it's important it that we mention uh, the scene where her parents are brutally murdered by fucking Michael Moore and Bolo Young and other goons. Yes. So uh, as I mentioned before, the keys are gigantic. They look yeah. like you'd get them on ledges, a hidden temple, and then they're yeah. baked into a pizza. <laughs> and then they decide if we're gonna kill this guy anyways. <laughs> they have a gag where Bolo Young takes the dad. Puts his head on the keyboard, slides it all the way down to play all the keys, and then punches him in the face, which is played as like a Looney Tunes joke. And then it cuts to the mob being strangled by a cord. Does not work back to back, buddy. Real whiplash going on. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. It's so good. All of the scenes. She meets up with them. They're all training together. All this shit's going on. And then we just have a fucking Vietnam flashback. Oh, God. Dude, the Vietnam flashback. Okay, so where is this the part learned? where we tell it? Is this now we where learned. we have to give the reveal? Uh, let me just uh, let me deliver the line. Okay. You killed his mom. And you're gonna leave him here? <laughs> and that's how they decide that since he marked that Charlie... It's the right thing to do to take that kid back to America and raise him as one of his own with his white son. Yeah. It's and it's beautiful. Very, very... Because, st- like, maybe the... How do I put this? In most movies, you don't have the dad be that evil, you know? And it's like one of their birth dads, you know? The white one's birth dad. He's just <laughs> it's evil. He, he's so nice to the kids the whole movie. And in the very end, he's like fucking kill you or send you to hell with your bitch dead mother you're like holy fuck <laughs> yeah. you robbed a bank dude yeah Jeez, it's, well, it's, it's yeah. not that big it's of a deal an, it's such an unnecessary force escalation of this movie but also it's so funny because it's in this specific movie <laughs> yeah it feels yeah. like you're watching fucking wild and crazy kids and then you yeah. find out the, <laughs> the bad guy murdered somebody's mom and nom dude it's it's one of my favorite things specifically for the fact that like this is probably something you'd be like, oh, I don't know, PG-13. They probably say shit. We gotta watch it with you. Then it's just like, yeah, kill your dad. He, he robs banks. He's the bad guy. It's like, you don't, you're not supposed to do that, you know? Like, the only comparable thing I can think of is, like, the Hunchback of Notre Dame where he finds this freak baby on the church steps and has to raise it because otherwise God will get angry at him. Okay, two points. First of all, it, we have to reiterate that the main bad guy, he just looks like a Wall Street guy with his hair slicked He back. really like, does, He does not yeah. look like a deviant karate master yeah second of he all he looks like pat riley 
Yeah, he's like <laughs> fucking Pat Riley, but he's apparently this yeah. nefarious mobster who's murdering people in he's Vietnam. He's played by Adrian Brody. <laughs> but Chris, do you think that in the Vietnam scene it went like the flashback in Black Dynamite? <laughs> and then you looked at me with your little Chinese eyes. I couldn't tell what you were saying. <laughs> Why don't I have that on Blu-ray? I gotta get that. <laughs> Little Chinese leg hanging from the ceiling fan. <laughs> I could understand what he said, but I knew it was supposed to be a question. <laughs> dude, Black Dynamite fucking rules, dude. We should watch that again. Absolutely. Alright, so, uh, fucking... So, yeah, he he killed Jonathan Kekwon's mother... And decided to adopt him because, uh... And, meanwhile, they're doing, like, the Hardy Boys investigation, and their clues are pointing towards their own dad. <laughs> it's insane. The detective work mixed in with the cleaning-slash-flirting montages. So oh, right, just, yeah. You'll get the abrupt cuss, like, so anyways, we're gonna fucking kill this guy. You're like, oh, hang on, this is... We're supposed to be striking back at Mega Mountain. What is... What are we doing here, guys? What yeah. Is so for the uh, for the yeah. sake of the plot, we should clarify that uh, at some point before the uh, before the boys had to sit and wait for their training, uh, their their karate uncle got maimed in a fucking bar fight <laughs> and oh, can yeah. no longer walk or do karate. Yeah. It's a genius uh, <laughs> task of making everything strobed out so no one can see backfires when his leg is shattered in a million pieces. <laughs> nice job, Dick. Maybe your friends could have helped you. Should we talk more oh, about well. the uh, about the bar scene? Absolutely, Absolutely. buddy. Please do. Which yeah. one? I was talking about the one with the little people. Okay. <laughs> well. <laughs> so let me let me just set the scene for how we get to this bar. The junior detectives discover that one of the guys in the crew is named Alan. And they're like, Alan owns a bar. Let's go down there and look for him. Yeah. Now, uh, you might be wondering which guy in the crew Alan is. Well, here's he's the one your played answer. by a man named Alan. Yeah, he's just the guy named Alan. <laughs> and yeah. every time they see him for the rest of the movie, they're like, yo, there goes Alan. Let's go kick his ass again. <laughs> and then they fight Alan for like the fourth time. Yeah. <laughs> she gets the shit beat out of him by two teenagers for like... 40 minutes of this movie. <laughs> you may continue with the bar scene. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Parker, can you tell me about the uh, the denizens of this bar, the patrons of this establishment? So the two uh, children of questionable age, could be nine, could be 15. There's no telling. There's no way to know. They walk in this establishment and they're greeted by the bartenders who are two little people. And the two little people immediately start razzing them for, you know, Oh, is your mommy going to come buy your drinks? Get the fuck out of here, kid! Like, they are pissed. <laughs> they are ready to start throwing <laughs> bottles. And they're like, hey, we just asked some questions, mister. And then the little person Kingpin comes in with his little baby <laughs> And he starts telling them, hey, hey, kids gotta get the fuck out of here. And they're like, alright, mister. And then the two little people jump over the bar and start fighting these children. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) crucially, (laughs) crucially, (laughs) the little person Kingpin does at one point say, and I quote, looks like we have a little problem. (laughs) Which is turned around on him later. 
Because, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe the way the scene is shot, you're not supposed to know the two bartenders are little people until they jump over the bar. I think because, like, the camera's looking up at them and their lower yeah. bodies are covered. Oh, yeah. I think they're trying to just make you think, like, oh, these are just regular-sized people. Yeah. Because when they jump over the bar, the kids start laughing. <laughs> and then they get the shit kicked out of them. It's actually a pretty good fight scene, honestly. Like all joking is, it is yeah, it yeah. Rules. This is one of the better parts of the movie. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, we should have never seen anything like this my entire good... life. Could yeah. not stop thinking okay, about so... Wee Man. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Parker, would you like to know another piece of trivia about this movie? Yes. So, Please. do you know who plays the character of Tony Moore? That would be uh, the white brother. <laughs> I do not. His, his name is Eddie Saavedra, and he was never in another movie after this. But the original oh. person who was set to play that role was Jason David Frank. Oh my fucking god. I gotta lay Can down. Can you imagine that movie? <laughs> I gotta lay down. <laughs> I can't do this, So, dude. Jonathan K. Kwan uh, discovers that, oh, all the clues seem to be pointing to my dad. I've got such a clue for my daddy. And uh, he tries to reason with us, like, hey, Dad, how about you stop robbing banks and everything? And uh, that leads to a showdown. <laughs> are we, are we, wait, hold on. We do need to back up for one second. Just to talk about them going to William Refrigerator Perry's house and beating the shit out of him in front of his blind grandma. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, they could have beat the shit out of him behind her. It would have had the same effect. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. That was a good scene. <laughs> they just show up to his house and put a bunch of nails on the floor and then make a bunch of noise and he comes out and steps on him like he's fucking Daffy Duck. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, he's, he he's just crying. Hey, how about you come out here? What, what the... <laughs> Every time. Every time I will not drop the cake. Sock Blue. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck okay so uh yeah anyway the the showdown between jonathan k kwan and his dad uh goes well for jonathan k kwan his dad gets arrested but unfortunately it's one of those misunderstanding things that you see from all those sitcoms because the white son turns up the last moment and he sees it and he goes what <laughs> <laughs> And he says, no, I'll never forgive you. How could my own brother betray me? My own flesh and blood. And Short Round's like, ah, well. Spicy keychain. (laughs) I think he actually says the words, how could my own brother betray me? And I was like, did he not know? Did he just... (laughs) (laughs) My own flesh and blood. How could you? (laughs) Oh, I thought it was womb to tomb, birth to earth. (laughs) Sperm to worm, indeed. Anyway, uh, (laughs) we'll settle this on the mat. So he's going to solve the dispute of his brother. What he thinks is his brother getting his dad arrested at a karate tournament. And Jonathan K. Kwan doesn't feel like telling him, no, dad was the uh, bank robber. You don't understand. And uh, Jonathan K. Kwan almost gets disqualified from all of karate entirely. (laughs) for non-participation the judge or referee actually comes up and says you are dishonoring the sport we can ban you for two years 
from all karate. This is maybe my favorite scene in the fucking movie. This dude loses his mind. This guy doesn't want to fight against his bro. It's so fucking cool, dude. Oh my god. Especially because, like, every other fucking karate movie, especially the ones aimed at kids, are, like, you know, talking about how it's for self-defense. And, you know, it's it's always to be used, like, you know, it's never to be used in anger or anything. And then this guy's just like, if you don't fight your brother, you're a fucking pussy and you're not allowed to do karate anymore. <laughs> and we're gonna take away your belt just like we did to Putin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can top that one. That was good. <laughs> Anyway, his brother kicks him a little too hard so that it, like, breaks his necklace. And then he's like, my God, what have I done? My own flesh and blood. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan Kekwa is like, <coughs> I'm fine. And uh, they live happily ever after. Credits. That's fucking... <laughs> and then Uncle Daddy becomes real daddy, I guess. Tiny Tim-ass scene where he's down on the mat trying yeah. to tell his brother. No, it's okay. You won the tournament, dude. Yeah. In short <laughs> round, who did not die? <laughs> one second place. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> does, does Jenny ever come back? Does, does she ever like fuck no. Tony or something? <laughs> no, she's just like in the background. Like, like oh, right, she's right, right, right. Yeah, she's the plot, in the background. She's just like yeah. hanging around. Yo, she's sp- please avenge yeah. my dead dad. You're like, you're what? <laughs> Who did what Since now? When? Oh my God! Yeah. Did they ever actually find the gold? No. <laughs> what gone, gold? Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> you do realize this movie is like under eighty minutes, right? They, if this had been longer, not only would they not find the gold, but they would have had to go against like Bolo Young in the final round. <laughs> That's oh, that's how you can tell. That's how you can tell this is an early '90s movie, not an early 2000s movie. Because in an early 2000s movie, there's a scene where the kids go back to the house and they pull up the floorboards and they find the gold and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna throw a big party tonight!" And then the credits roll and like, oh yeah, absolutely. fucking uh, uh, like the prodigy plays or something. Right, exactly. And fucking like, and, like Jonathan Kwan would be like skateboarding throughout the house, and Uncle Daddy would be chasing after him, like Alvin. You know, so. What's your favorite fight scene, and why is it the one where they're inexplicably fighting in ancient ruins out in the middle of the desert? <laughs> Dude, they were look. They looked like it was fucking Outworld from Mortal Kombat. It's insane. And then they beat that guy. Like, all right, cool. Let's go find out where Dad is. And then they're just at the giant refinery set from eight other movies we talked about. <laughs> it was a it's... good set, by the way. It is a real good set. I would use it too. It's so goddamn cool that once these kids finish their training, they just turn into Goku for the entire second act, and just all they want to do is like, like crack jokes while they're fighting. And uh, like when they fucking when they trick Alan by throwing the pizza off the cliff and making him go chase it, it's just like the most fucking Goku fight scene moment you could ever imagine, dude. Fucking rules. There is a scene where uh, his uh, legitimate totally his Vietnamese son who was his son that he birthed they are fighting to the death and he goes dad I don't want to hit you and he goes no boy don't call me dad get ready to meet your mother in hell <laughs> and then after all that it's like I really don't feel the stakes of this karate competition you guys I'm going to be honest with you exactly it, it, it almost feels like weird you know to, to for them to like have that scene on there at the end it's just like this feels like it shouldn't be the ending, you know? 
Like the most innocuous scene, but the one I keep thinking about is near the end where all the gangsters are sitting at the table and they all put their slices of pizza together to make the whole pizza. <laughs> 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 I keep thinking about it. It's so fucking stupid. Why is it a pizza out of everything and on planet Earth? I can tell you exactly was... why it's a pizza because it was the early 90s and pizza was a huge hit back then. You know, you had like Teenage Mutant like Ninja, Ninja Turtles, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, Ninja Turtles was a big one, but there was like, remember there was like a big pizza scene in fucking uh, Home Alone 2, where he orders a pizza, and there was like, oh, look, he's got his own pizza! And we're like, yeah, we get it. Like, nowadays it's like, it's everywhere sells pizza. It's like, pizza's just like a thing. But back in the 90s, it was supposed to be like a big fucking deal. I, I don't know. Back in the 90s, a gangster slash murderer would just yell, Go get the damn pizza at Bolo Young. Oh, yeah, exactly. You have to do it, because yeah. it was important. Yeah. But also, and this is crucial, <laughs> the bad guy had access to the gold the whole time, which is how he hid it. So he didn't actually need the pizza at all. And also, <laughs> he goes to the scene at the end of the movie where the gold was, with his entire crew, when he calls the cops to get them all arrested. But he's there. <laughs> and so he's cool. also the one that called the cops and presumably could have just said that. Yeah, probably. It's just it is the most baffling like decision that you could possibly make, all of them, it result in this one fucking fight in an abandoned fucking steel mill. <laughs> what have we done with this movie? What is this? What's happening? I looked away for a second. Like when they kicked Bolo Bolo Young off the railing and he was holding on, I was like, oh shit. I reached over, grabbed my phone, looked back, and I realized, like, oh, we'd never see him again. I guess the police just helped him down gingerly. Yeah, I, I <laughs> He's just this. gone for the movie. It's like, well, do we want this kid to kill him? Ah, uh, the cops are here. Don't worry about yeah. it. His cops is clean. <laughs> Movie's over. It's fine. Yep. Yeah. Well, that movie was spectacular. Uh, and I guess you Beautiful. all can join us next week for Morbius. Or Mobius. You guys. Hell yeah. I have heard nothing but bad things. I'm so excited. And that's the tea, sis.